Enjoy all your favorite sports like never before at BetMGM. Sign up using code Buckeye and receive up to $1,500 back in bonus bets if you don't win your first bet. When you register with BetMGM, you'll get instant access to a variety of parlay selection features, live betting options, and the best daily promotions in the business. And with BetMGM at your fingertips, every play and every game matters more than ever. Place your money line prop or parlay bets with the king of sports books today sign up using code buckeye and receive up to $1,500 back in bonus bets if you don't win your first bet bet mgm and GameSense remind you to play responsibly 21 plus and present in ohio subject to eligibility requirements rewards are non-withdrawable bonus bets that expire in seven days gambling problem call 1-800-GAMBLER in partnership with mgm northfield park You know how to book flights and hotels. All you're missing is a tool to plan the travel experiences you'll have once you arrive. That's why you need Viator. Book guided tours, activities, excursions, and more in one place to make your trip truly unforgettable. Viator has over 300,000 travel experiences to choose from. Everything from simple tours to extreme adventures and all the niche, interesting stuff in between. So you can plan something that everyone you're traveling with will enjoy. Real traveler reviews give the inside scoop from people who've already been on the experiences you're considering. So you can plan with confidence. Free cancellation helps you plan for the unexpected. And 24-7 customer support means you can travel worry-free. Download the Viator app now and use code Viator10 for 10% off your first booking in the app. Find travel experiences for you. Do more with Viator. TheChairShot.com. Always use your head. Warning. The Outsider's Edge contains strong opinions, unconventional views, and contrarian stances. Listen, if you dare. Hey, yo. As we are brought in by the fire tones of the Tongans, with whom we give all deference to, I'd like to thank you for listening to another episode of The Outsider's Edge. Yes, it's your boy Rance, a.k.a. Ray Cash. I have the whole crew back together again. Like, I guess Carl said, screw it, I'm going to come back again. So, got Carl and Kyle with us. What's up, guys? Oh, you know, just another day of living the dream, man. Trying to Ooh, teach Peter Carl how to be a teacher. Yeah, I'm gonna need. I really do need your help. I need you to get in the car and drive on out here, buddy. Because uh, I'm, I'm not. I don't know how good I am at this. And like, true, true story. We all like have a whole heap of more respect to give teachers than we never gave before because half of us had to do it now. And uh, yeah, that shit ain't easy. Like, I we've been known that, but it's another thing to like have to do it and realize, you know, like I, I respect firefighters, but I ain't jumping my ass in fires, you know? So, <laughs> but you know, 
it's fitting that we're always brought in by the fire tones of the Tongans with whom we give all deference to. Uh, because we got a special guest on the edge tonight, and the music of the Tongans is very appropriate for our guest. Tell them who our guest is, Brother Rance. Uh, so, yes, one of the most special guests we have, because we really wouldn't have a show if this man didn't play a part in it. He is the founder, owner, promoter <laughs> of Social Suplex, one half of Keeping a Strong Style, the preeminent New Japan podcast, and he's a former John Juris. I got my boy Jeremy Donovan with me. What's up, sir? What's up, guys? So good to be on the edge again. It's been a long time since I've been aligned with you boys. We are so glad that you could be here, man, especially this week because, y'all, Brother Jeremy had tickets to the big AEW All Out from Jacksonville this past Saturday. And mm-hmm. before you tell us about your impressions of the show itself, Talk to us a little bit about what it's like to go to a show in the age of the COVID. Yeah, so it was very interesting. This was um, first live show since February that we went to. Wow. That's yeah. long. <laughs> yeah, pretty crazy. Um, yeah, last show was a FIP here in Ebor City in the Orpheum. And so, yeah, I've been quite some time being at a wrestling show. And so as soon as, you know, we saw All Out coming out on a, a Saturday in Jacksonville, three hours away from us here in Tampa, Florida. Like, man, we got to get tickets. We got to get down there. So, you know, hopped in the car with uh, some of the social suplex guys and some of the guys we call, you know, our, our little Largo loop that we uh, go to shows together. So we headed down to uh, Jacksonville to Daly's Place to, for All Out. And, you know, they really had everything, you know, set there with all their procedures and safety and stuff like that. And so, you know, you get there while, while you're waiting in line. They're making sure that you're staying with your group and there's distance between your group and the groups behind you as you're getting in line. Um, you know, they have uh, signs all over the place using some of the AEW wrestlers. Like there's a, a Jericho sign. It's like, hey, idiot, you know, wear your mask. And yeah. it's an orange Cassidy, you know, keep your, your hands to yourself. Keep your hands in your <laughs> pocket kind of thing. And so that was cool. Yeah. And so, you know, get in the building. They they check your temperature uh, as you come in. They have this, these fancy little like face scanner things. You walk up and like put your head up to it, and it scans you and tells you your temperature and all that. And so, you know, they also have people with like little the hand digital uh, things too, and checking your your, your temperature. Um, and then once again, they're making sure you're staying with your group as you enter the building. Um, you know, they obviously it was only fifteen percent capacity of the building. Uh, everybody okay. was seated. They sold the tickets in, you know, they call them pods. And so there was like pods of like two, three, four, five, and six. And so you had to stay with your group. You weren't allowed to talk to anybody else that wasn't in your group and go across. You had to wear your mask the whole time unless obviously you were drinking or eating something. And, you know, they had so they did refreshments. Yeah. So they had a little refreshment open. They had like water, Gatorade, beer, all that kind of stuff. And so, yeah, you could like, drink and eat. But yeah, once you were done, you had to make sure you put your mask back on. They had extra security, making sure. People were wearing masks, and so yeah, it was. It felt you know pretty safe, as safe as possibly be in a situation like that. And you say that is about fifteen percent capacity, so seven hundred fifty, a thousand people. Would you venture to think? Yeah, probably somewhere in, the, in that ballpark right there. Okay, that's like we were talking before the show before we started, and that's a really good crowd for any show. I know that's low capacity for WWE and AEW, but. <clears throat> like given the situation, that's a really good crowd. 
quick quick question on that, Jeremy. Um, just in terms of getting tickets, like I assume it's on a they had a limited amount they were selling because they're doing fifteen percent capacity. So is this something that I don't I didn't keep up with how they were sold or whatever? Well, they sold quickly. I mean, was this like a hey you gotta? It's like you better get the day they go on sale, the minute they go on sale, you better be ready to jump on them. Yeah, they sold pretty quickly. So yeah, they were sold uh, ten o'clock. It was yeah, ten o'clock the Saturday the week before. And so, yeah, I hopped on Ticketmaster. I mean, I had a, a relatively easy time, and I think that's because we were a group of six. I know a lot of people who were trying to get, like, groups of two or even three, like, okay. had a very hard time, like, trying to get tickets. And it, it sold out very quickly. But, yeah, with us, you know, getting a group of six, I don't think there's a lot of people that had that big of a group. And so had a very easy time getting um, the pot of six. Okay, cool. That makes sense. One of one of the bigger um talking points of the show that didn't have anything to do with the actual wrestling was the heat like i i I heard it was hot we're going to speak to some of the spots that were affected by the heat like how was it like we know florida is notoriously hot especially in swamp season which it is still neck deep in the heart of swamp season and for y'all northerners yeah some as september is still summer so like it's been in, and especially in in Carolina, in Florida, and Texas. We're in like, what we call false fall. That yeah. like that like week and a half of nice, cool weather that tricks mm-hmm. you into thinking falls coming yep. before mm-hmm. that last awful week, a hundred degree weather in <laughs> September. And Florida only has two seasons anyway: rainy and hot. So exactly. <laughs> so talk, yeah, can you talk to about talk about like what it was like in the stadium with the heat and what you guys had to deal with was it draining was it hard to kind of stay hot not hot but you know what i mean stay excited and loud right i mean yeah it, it was really hot and very humid um you know it's we're in august here in, in florida very hot i mean we got there um doors open at five thirty, so we were around there around five and so yeah it was pretty hot outside and so it obviously during like the pre-show the buy-in maybe the first like hour or so in the show sun was still out still pretty hot and then once the, the sun went down, it definitely got a, a little bit cooler, but it was still pretty hot. They did have some kind of big ceiling fans throughout uh, blowing, trying to help uh, cool us down. But definitely being there, you know, obviously from like 530 up until, you know, midnight, however long the show was, like it's definitely just it's already draining already. But then also with that heat kind of being down on you and just, you know, sweating out there, it was definitely, you know, towards the end of the show, you could tell like the crowd, the energy levels were draining on top of everything else that kind of went in the show that might have taken some energy out the crowd as well. So, uh, please, please go ahead. I was going to say, when you said that you guys, you drove up there and it's a three hour drive and then y'all drove back even afterwards. So I can only imagine as hot as John drained as y'all were. I like me, we were staying off air. Me and Kyle or Kyle was like, I would have got a hotel. I would have too, because I'm not dealing with that. But man, you guys are y'all are tougher than me, man. Twenty sure. year old Kyle said, was a trooper. Thirty year old Kyle is uh, a hotel man. Yeah, there you go. He says he'll get a hotel, but when it comes to Houston, he drives the whole 14 hours. So, I mean. (laughs) I've been to Houston one time in my life, and I didn't even stay. I was on my way to San Antonio. And I didn't even know you. We was a pit. Oh, I was talking about Carl, but that's true for you too. That's so we just a pit stop for you. That's what that's what we are to you. We're just a place to get some gas. I mean, Lord, Lord. I mean, you know. (laughs) <laughs> Texas, not really. So, uh, all out is 
Do you think All Out is the, the, the number one pay-per-view or the number two? We, we debated this we last week. We decide if it was the yeah. Slam or the WrestleMania. It, it's hard because, obviously, you know, the precursor All In was kind of the catalyst that kicked things off. And then you had yeah. started doing All Out. But then Double or Nothing was the That's official the very first, one. Yeah. first pay-per-view under the AEW banner. You had the whole star cast and all that stuff going on. So it, it's hard. I can go either or. You can you can say that Double or Nothing is the Mania, and then All Out is the SummerSlam. Or you can. I, I think it's. I think for me, I think for me, and I know you can relate to this, Jeremy. Obviously, for me, All Out feels big because it spawned off of All In, and we were at All In. So right. like, it, it was just one of those special moments, and because you have that connection to it, it always feels like a big show to me. Yeah, that makes sense. Um, so starting off with the buy-in, I mean, I, I had two fun matches, Joey Janela with Sonny Kiss versus Serpentico and, uh, Dr. Luther crazy ass. Like I'll never understand the Dr. Luther <laughs> thing. I just won't. Um, and we had, um, we had private party versus number five and number six, five and six, three and four. It's a three and four. Three and four, three and, four and one of them is like mega over now. Oh, well, because he's talk, like talk to, on talk to the Tampa guy. Something. The Tampa guys love John Silver. Yeah, yeah. what's like legit? I'm asking because I don't know. What is that about? So I don't know if you guys have been keeping up with uh, Being the Elite, but recently on Being the Elite, the Dark Order has been featured heavily. And uh, John Silver and Alex Reynolds. They're kind of the the quote unquote recruitment specialists of the Dark Order. So there's always these funny skits every week with them, you know, failing to recruit people. They try to re- recruit uh, Nyla Rose. She pulled out a, a straw on them that said like "fuck you" when she was trying to <laughs> trying to recruit her. Uh, they try to recruit Orange Cassidy. He spilt their Kool Aid, and so like they have like all these like fail attempts of them like trying to recruit people to the Dark Order. They tr- they almost had a uh, Trent Beretta's mom as a part of the Dark Order. Oh, <laughs> yeah. Oh. Yeah, Sue's yeah. drinking the Kool-Aid, and Trent's like, Mom, you can't join Colts. She's like, yes, yes, I can. Yes, I can. <laughs> now, you know, I'm glad you bring up that apparently it is a BTE thing, because we had Mags on last week, and Mags and I were both talking about how he and I are both avid watchers of Dynamite and Dark, but we've fallen out of watching BTE, and we feel like we're missing a lot of the storyline. And as fans, it's frustrating for us because we're just like, we're watching both of your wrestling products and you're a wrestling company, but all of the things that you're doing that are actually getting your characters over and furthering your storylines in a coherent way aren't really on your your wrestling show. Yeah, yeah. They're on a secondary YouTube show that may or may not be canon. And I'm not even at the point where I think they should stop doing it because I don't think they should because obviously we have all elite wrestling because we had being the elite. Mm -hmm. But I am at the point where I wish they would take some of those things and transfer them to Dynamite and Dark as like, segments within the show maybe not some of the more fourth wall breaky ones that are character inconsistent but like the things that make some of these people endearing should be on your wrestling show right and that's definitely a big debate even in our group threads we talk about um you know 
people are like, you know, I shouldn't have to watch Dark. I shouldn't have to watch Being the Elite. The the key character-driven stuff should be on Dynamite, and I can definitely understand that. There's so much – there's limited time. Or if you're a wrestling fan you're watching a bunch of other products, it's hard to keep up with everything. <clears throat> Excuse me. And then having to, um, you know, watch another, you know, 20-minute show to kind of you know, catch up on what's going on is definitely hard. But, yeah, the whole – yeah, John Silver thing has kind of blown up from being the elite and just a lot of the funny skits that they've been doing on here. And, like, he's just had the, the comedy chops and his things are just hilarious. And his interactions with him and uh, Mr. Brody Lee have been great. And so he's just gotten really popular. And like you mentioned, Kyle, like we've seen from uh, being the elite, you know – all in a lot of the storylines from all in came from being the elite and being the elite is known for creating characters like yeah. BTE creates over. stars. Yeah. yeah. BTE creates stars. SCU got over the whole Hangman page. Yeah, Hangman Adam page. Cole. Yeah. Adam Cole, the whole Jay lethal doing the macho man thing, touching the shoulder kind of thing. And so it's happening again with the dark order. These guys are getting over with these funny skits on being the elite. And so all the hardcore AW fans are, are latching onto that. And that's why you're seeing guys like silver get these huge pops and reactions, especially in that buy-in match against private party. Um, there's definitely a part of the crowd that was definitely all behind uh, dark order. Shit, they weren't even on it. And I would go so far as to say that the revival became more of a, like a star within the wrestling community because of the fuck the revival skit. That's a good point. That's a really good point. If That's... nothing else, it made people talk about the revival and watch their matches and like troll against it. No, no diss to the, no the revival FTR or whatever you want to call them, but they weren't particularly memorable outside of their wrestling matches. That's what made them memorable at first. Yeah. Until recent times and things they've done online since then. So that's a good point. I'm I'm curious to get your thought though uh, about what was supposed to be on the buy-in was the Britt Baker Big Swole Tooth and Nail match. Now backlash for all the things that I have, all the issues I have for Tony Khan and some of the management of, of AEW, they have shown a willingness to pivot if enough people say, hey, you should pivot. And I give them all the credit in the world for that because most companies won't do that, let alone a wrestling company owned by one person. So I appreciate that. But what did you think of that controversy and did you think the match should have been moved? Did you even like the match? Because that was the very first cinematic women's match we've seen in this era. Yeah, it's very interesting. So, you know, obviously, originally the plan was for it to be on the buy-in because obviously they've been building this big swole and Britt Baker feud since before the pandemic. Yeah. Um, and then, uh, obviously, Britt Baker got hurt with the knees. She got broke her nose. And so they thought she was going to be ready for All Out to have that match on the main card. She wasn't ready, so they had to pivot. Let's do a cinematic match to kind of cover up the fact she's hurt. We'll put it on the buy-in because we know our hardcore fans are probably not going to like a cinematic match. Um, but then you have, obviously, a lot of fans have been criticizing AEW for the use of their women and the women's division and the lack of TV time that their women have been getting. And obviously, you know, part of the issue is a lot of their women have, um, they've used a lot of Joshi women, they use a lot of um, UK women like uh, B Priestley and Shanna. Obviously, due to the pandemic, they can't get in. So they've kind of had to pivot there as well. We've seen a lot of Florida independent talent being used on Dark and Dynamite and even some um Top any names like Ivelisse and Diamante being brought in, but still, um, it's clearly not as even as as the men, or it's not quite. They're not they're not getting pushed to the same level. 
Well, there's yeah. been that debate too. And so when it came out that this uh, tooth and nail match was going to be on the buy-in, there was that kind of hardcore fan base. I was like, you know, we've you've been building the story for so long, and now you're going to put it on the pre-show, and you only have one women's match on the main card. Um, so there was a lot of heat behind that. And so like you mentioned, Rance, they, they ended up pivoting and putting it on the actual card in the first match. And, you know, for what it was, I thought it was funny. It wasn't too long. Um, you know, kind yeah. of silly brawl throughout, you know, Britt's dentist's office. You had Reba there as well. And I, th- I thought it was a fun little match. But overall, I still think I would have preferred it to have been on the buy-in just because we're used to these AEW shows being all about the in-ring and these kind of bell-to-bell type of shows. And I I definitely felt like it kind of started to show off just in a weird atmosphere. Normally you have that kind of hot opener match, in which they did follow with the Bucks against Jurassic Express, but it was still kind of weird having that uh, cinematic match open. I just think that if they wanted to get a second women's match on the main card, then just hold off on the finals of the tag tournament. Well, that's, yeah. In a perfect world, yeah. All out and have, like, because that also helps alleviate some of the criticism of the tag tournament being exclusively on the YouTube show is, okay, yeah, we're going to give them this spotlight on the YouTube show, but then the final is going to be at one of our biggest pay-per-views of the year, and they're going to get this big spotlight and this big moment. And that alleviates a lot of that problem. My only issue with the cinematic match um, wasn't really their fault in terms of Britt and Swole's fault. My thing with that cinematic match is you can really tell the difference between the production values that Vince McMahon is dropping on these cinematic matches and literally everybody else is dropping on the cinematic matches. And that is not to disrespect the other companies that are doing cinematic wrestling. That's just to say that, like, when somebody's dropping movie budgets on their cinematic match, like, it looks a certain way. And when you've seen that three or four times recently, and then you see one that looks way more indie production value it sticks out to you. And that, and that didn't detract from the quality of the match to me. It's just something that I noticed where I'm just like, oh yeah, this is not, this is not that McMahon money. And I, I, don't, think it's, I don't think it's fair to call it a, a cinematic match. I, I know that's kind of the term for it, but it's more along the line of graveyard matches or uh, um, boiler room brawls that, weren't, that were, were kind of meant to be live as the show was going on just not in the ring you know because mm-hmm. what i think a cinematic match is like you like you said the graveyard match had a fucking score that's a graveyard the boneyard match had a score to it like metallica so was the, the score to the match the original you know cinematic match yeah so like but this wasn't that this was hey get them it's, i i looked Which at it as exactly if, what jeremy said it was yeah it is not physically ready yet we've got to do a payoff because we've been building this up for too long not to do something right so uh, yeah, it, 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 it looked like if our truth was going for the 24 7 title and it was somewhere else that was kind of in that vein but just still 
zany but more serious. Well, I, I think I cut you off, Carl. Yeah. No, you're okay. I was saying to be fair though, and kind of to, to Jeremy's point, like he mentioned that the reason why he wasn't he was kind of more interested in it being on the pre-show is because the AEW that hardcore base, or it's more about the bell to bell kind of action. And so they had to kind of do something in the situation with Britt being hurt or not fully recovered. So you can probably kind of tell the AEW isn't as maybe even as interested in putting together a high budget kind of thing like that based on the kind of product they're trying to put out. You know what I mean? That makes perfect sense. Um, But I also think, you know, there was the placement of the match, whether it be on the pre-show or the main card, but, but the placement of the match also spoke to what I think was the bigger problem of All Out, which was the pacing of that show was all over the place and the show was like four hours long so like if you're gonna give me a four-hour show you have got to pace it just right if you miss that pacing sweet spot with a show that long it's just gonna drag in spots and then in other spots it's gonna feel really rushed and like it was just all over the place being, being a New Japan guy, Jeremy, I, I'm sure you know more than most that in 2020, by and large, the, the wrestling in-ring product is better than it's ever been uh, for in almost every place, in almost every single situation. So the issue isn't really, is the match going to be good? It's more, is the match going to be built to a point where I care about it? And is it going to be put in a situation, in a card, strategically, to where I have the energy or the interest. And I think that they really didn't do a good job with putting this first. Because like you said, we're used to hot openers. AEW is the place of work-rate wrestling, of bell-to-bell wrestling. If they would have moved the match, and we're fantasy booking here, so it really doesn't matter what we think. But I feel like they would move the match further into the show and let the crowd get into it, let the people at home get into the show. And then that kind of be... I hate to use it for these guys, but almost filler. I feel like it would have been a little better. What do you? I mean, do you do you kind of agree with that? Do you do you think differently? I think I think with it being on the main car, I think opening the show was actually the right spot for it. Because I know I talked to a couple other okay. fans. They, they kind of felt they would have felt weird to kind of have all these matches, and all of a sudden you got to watch a screen in the middle of the show for this uh, cinematic match. And you That's know, I think fair. they did it in the middle of the show. It might have been treated more of a, a bathroom break than a part of the show. I thought I think opening it was probably the best option they could have had. It wasn't going to be on the pre-show. So you get it out there. It's the first thing you're seeing. You're kind of locked in because it's the start of the show instead of kind of being lost in the middle of the show. That's interesting to me because, you know, being a WWE guy or a WCW guy most of my life, they always had a bathroom break match because they know it's got to be a cool down. You can't, even though we are, it's impossibly hard to be extremely hot for every single moment of every single match of every single show for hours and hours on end. Uh, but it's interesting to hear you say that because I never thought about it, but I can see that thought process with the way the company is strategically building their matches. So that's a good point. You you mentioned Young Bucks and the Lucha and the Lucha not Lucha Brothers, Young Bucks and Jurassic Express. Jurassic I'm sorry. Express. Um. The young bucks kind of, the young bucks kind of like took that match and said, "We back, like fuck all that bullshit you talking." <laughs> we we here. The but the but like the bullshit that we've been talking has been y'all are better than this. 
be well, better than this. They show better than match. I mean, do you think? I agree. No, I agree. Yeah. But like, I just wanted to point out the bullshit that people were talking wasn't yeah. the bullshit of five years ago where people were trying to be like, oh, no, they're not one of the best tag teams of all time. Sure. No, sure. the bullshit people are talking now is you are one of the definitively best tag teams of all time. Why are you doing this? And, and I want to ask you a question about the tag division in general. Because, I mean, there's no, it's unquestioned. It's not even like they're, they're the best tag division in wrestling and the second best tag division in wrestling. Like, there's, yeah, like they're so far and away better than any other tag division in major professional wrestling, right? Mm-hmm. I can't speak to some indie shows that may have nice stuff that we don't, I can't speak on, right? But do you think there's ever a point where too much can be too much? Because like you would like uh and and Helico and Jack Evans are never on the show. The Lucha Brothers very rarely are on the show. And are I mean, not on the show, the stable not, Butcher uh, and the Blade. It was show respect to Eddie Kingston, sir. It's Eddie <laughs> Kingston stable. They they are with Eddie Kingston. But you know what I'm saying? Like you have so many tag teams that are doing so many other things, but and are having matches, yeah, but aren't like and stories are being pushed, and a lot of them are in, in smaller ways or maybe on being the elite. But I mean, like, they are like 12, 14 deep, you know? So when you see the Young Brooks versus Lucha Express, um, the Jurassic Express, why do I want to give the Luchas this match? I'm sorry. <laughs> well, it's because, Luchasaurus. <laughs> yeah, you're thinking about Luchasaurus. And, That's, it. Yeah. That's it, my bad. Um, but because I know, speaking back to the Britt Baker Big Swole thing, my thought process was, well, if the buy-in is really that important to you in terms of sales, selling the show, well, then put the Bucks and Jurassic Express on the buy-in, because that was a match that had no build. That was a match just to be on the card because it was on the card, right? And then switch that, but they just added an extra match, and then they threw two more tag teams on the buy-in, who, in any other company, would be top-tier tag teams. So, I mean, what do you think about that? I know SCU is back to attack team again because Scorp is on his own now. Um, you know, the Dark Order got, like, three sets of tags. Right, yeah. You know, not just three and four, but, you know, Studos and, and Evil Uno are, you know, world-renowned as a, a good tag team on their own, and they're not doing tags right now. Like, what do you think about the set of tag teams in AEW? Yeah, so overall, I really love the AEW Tag Division. It has a lot of my favorite tag teams in wrestling in all one place. I do understand kind of like what you're saying, though. There's so many teams. There's so little TV time. It's hard for every team to get their shine. So obviously, that's why they kind of have to utilize stuff like Dark. And I know they're in the works of having another TV show that will be on TNT that will be different from Dark. So hopefully, whenever that gets started, that'll be another opportunity to get some some of these teams, some more TV time, but I like having a deep division and that allows you to have fresh matchups. So, you know, at any time you can have a fresh tag team matchups, you can have fresh huge, fresh rivalries, and you can kind of cycle some guys in and out and maybe some guys in the back burner in this pay-per-view build. And then for the next three months and you can rotate them out and push some more guys. And so it kind of keeps the scene fresh and you can move into players in and out and do some different stuff. So, I kind of like that, have the flexibility to have that many different that teams you can kind of, or I, I want to do Young Bucks versus, you know, Private Party, or I want to do SCU versus Butcher and the Blade. Like, there's so many different options you can do at any given week. 
sure. And and uh, to your point about that cycling in and out, AEW has not shown a, a habit of continuing a feud once the feud has a blow-off match, right? I mean, Cody's had like 16 blood feuds in one year. I'm being facetious, but you know <laughs> what I'm saying, right? Yeah. And then as soon as it's over, keep it moving, right? Jericho once, and Cassidy was one of the only feuds that they have done. It might be the only one, yeah. Where they had a series of matches. But there yeah. were several fuck finishes involved on the way to that. Right. Speaking of that, can we get some AEW tag teams in New Japan, please? Because, like, we'll talk about that. <laughs> we'll talk about tag teams in New Japan. Um, I Wait, there run... are tag teams? I mean, well, you know, with, with your Wait, boy Yoho, maybe will never maybe not. Hold on, hold on. I, I, I take that back. I will never disrespect Zack Sabre and Tai Chi like that ever, ever again. <laughs> <laughs> um so uh you know i was gonna say let's run through a few matches here but these next two matches are big matches the next match after the bucks and jurassic express is the casino battle royal and everybody died because lance archer i want to the only thing i want to say about that entire match because like fuck that match it was a typical battle royal battle royals are never very good um darby allen what the fuck dude yeah, that's terrifying. Like, what the fuck, dude? And and look, we and Carl and I have been to some of his indie shows. Like I we know that's what he does, but it's still scary as shit for to see. For those of you that don't like, know what we're talking about. Body bag spot we're talking about yeah, here. Yeah. For those that don't know what we're talking about, within the match, yeah. um, so Darby has been feuding with Taz's boys, Ryan Cage and Ricky Starks. And so during the match, Brian Cage gets out this body bag. And they fill it with thumbtacks, and they wrap Darby up in the body bag, and zip up the body bag, and then Brian Cage lawn darts the body bag over the rope onto the ramp with Darby Thumbtack Allen inside it. Darby Thumbtack. <laughs> now, little, real quick on that, I want to shout out. Did, I, I'm, did they get a big? What's that? Go ahead. I was like, I want to shout out the first fan, Rob Daniels, because I know if he saw that, he would be in 100% cringe mode on that because that is like he hates that stuff. And it's not for me either. Like, I've used to like that crap. Like, and I grew up in the Attitude Era, so I've seen lots of lots of stuff in that vein. But man, having seen that spot, I was like, especially Darby Allen being as small as he is and in comparison. The history that he has. Yeah. That's I, I appreciate the stories that Darby tells with pain. And then if you know the backstory about his character, he's impervious to pain almost in a sense because what, what was it? His, his uncle died and that like killed something in him. That's why he wears the half skull face because right. he's half dead or something inside and it goes to the story. And it's a really deep, intricate Detailed story, which yes. it makes a lot of sense when you see the coffin drop and the things he does, but like at a certain point, man, it's terrifying. Like at a what certain you point, you just got to say, dude, you've had like, what is it? Three or four concussions. In and a you're small taking in a very small window of time. And you're not, it, it's not even so much that you're taking a bump with the thumbtacks over the rope. It's that you're doing it blind because yeah. you're in that bag and you are just doing it blind and it's hoping, not a, a, yeah. Yeah, just hoping that Cage 
has the right grip and throws you in just the right way and that absolutely nothing goes wrong. And, and Jeremy, you, I, and I'm not trying to be funny or anything, but me and you are the only ones in this call who've actually been in the ring and ran ropes and taken bumps. So you know that when you take a bump, a big part of taking that bump is seeing where you're taking the bump. Right, having your, your arms to protect you, you know, take that, that nice flat back bump. And yeah. yeah, it's very hard, like being zipped up. I don't know how he protected himself taking that bump. And so, yeah, Darby's a guy who takes a lot of these kind of crazy, kind of reckless bumps. And I, I've seen Darby several times here in Tampa wrestling indie shows and doing all kind of crazy, outrageous spots. And it's funny with him because I've heard interviews where he's like, I just don't, I don't want to be just the stunt guy. Like, I want to show people I can wrestle. And I'm like, Okay, you're still right. doing these crazy stunts, which is cool. Like they're cool. Some of them are cool. And like, but at the same yeah. time, it's like, dude, like you, you when can... Jeff Hardy wanted to be known as more than just a stunt guy, he stopped doing ladder matches for a little while. Yeah. Like yeah. for like a solid two years, he was just like, nah, no ladders for me. I'm, I'm I don't need a table match. Uh, I'm cool with it. Yeah. Oh, boy. I love Darby, and I think he can be a top star in promotion, but, you know, at some yeah. point, he's going to have to really pick his spots and, you know, do some sick, uh, maybe safer versions of this stuff so that to uh, prolong his career. Well, I, mean, I can like, remember, like, I'm sorry. Well, I was just going to say, you know, a lot of times, you know, we bring up Steve Austin is the Mount Rushmore example of somebody who just gets super fucking hot and they got to give you the ball and run with it. But never forget, with injuries, Austin's time on top was like a cumulative total of two years. Yeah. Mm-hmm. And now the man has like knee problems that make my surgically repaired knee look like child's play and double neck fusions. So like... Take care of yourself, man. Like, that's what I was going to say about Darby. I mean, like, like Rant said, we saw him, we saw him at an Evolve show, and he was one of the like. I didn't know who he was before that. I don't keep up with a lot of independent wrestling, time constraints, whatever. But Darby like stood out, and for me, it's like one of those things with with guys like that. You know, I'm kind of picky about wrestlers that I can really see myself getting into. But if you do something that stands out. I'm going to remember you, you know, and I have not to say I sit around and watch Darby and his matches religiously or anything, but I remember thinking, Hey, that guy's, he's pretty crazy. Like he could actually like, if I don't know how he was a pretty good wrestler too. And I'm thinking he's got something. Once he gets to the show, maybe he won't do all that. He won't need to do this stuff anymore. Cause that's always kind of been my thought process. Once you get to yeah. the show, you don't have to do that anymore. And it's cool to do it here and there. But I do think that, like you said, I mean, such a small window of opportunity. And if you're out there concussing yourself every other match, every other big spot, I mean, you're going to no, ruin what it. we know about CTE. Yeah. But I mean, it, he's, he's had great matches without all of that stuff. The match with Cody was awesome. The match with Moxley, even though was a little more hardcore, still didn't have like the bumps that made you like terrified. Like he's shown he can go, but I appreciate the journalism you show just now without knowing it. Uh, Kyle, because you're speaking of CTE. <laughs> Matt Hardy got some CTE at us. Uh, oh, real quick, shout out to Will Hobbs. I like that kid. 
Yeah, Will Hobbs. Yeah, big raw I dude. Like that. Yeah, he's got star potential. He, money. He he's about out. money in his future. Stood out in that match. Yes, he's got money in his future. And before yeah. we go on to Matt Hardy, we got to talk real quick about Matt Seidel. Yes. Uh, oh yeah. He was you know the number twenty one in the Battle Royal, making his a uh, big uh, AEW debut. <clears throat> Excuse me, and uh, you know runs in House of Fire, um, goes Get for back. his big shooting star press and. Ends up slipping, and you know it was hot and humid out there. You got a ring full of twenty dudes that are sweating all over the place, so those ropes were slippery. Um, you know, luckily Matt's a true pro, able to protect himself on, His on that. Third ball. eye was open. <laughs> yeah, third <laughs> eye was open, and he managed to catch himself. I'm curious. I I, I know you guys are big fans of Matt side now. You guys have some connections to the dude, but I don't want to. I don't. I don't want in any way to seem like I'm disrespecting him, but were you disappointed with him being number twenty-one? Uh, I wasn't. Well, uh, I was actually. I was pretty excited. I mean, we were kind of speculating on some of the, the names that could have been, and uh, you know, Matt's a guy who's been all over. Obviously, he's been in WWE. He's been in Ring of Honor. He's been in TNA. He's kind of these one of those kind of you know worldwide names that pretty much any wrestling fan at this point would uh, recognize his name and know who he is. So I thought it was kind of a great kind of. Um, person to bring in. Also, I didn't think he was somebody that could have w- win it, but it was still a cool surprise. I give you that, yeah, and I, I, I agree with the surprise. And he fits the roster. Um, I guess you know I worked myself into a shoot, brother, because I I was thinking it was gonna be somebody much bigger in terms of name value. I but still don't under, but I still don't know. Like, because I, I remember you saying that. Yeah, and I'm still just like racking my head trying to think like what big name that's unsigned. It well, that may be, right now. It may be more about Matt Seidel because I never looked at Matt Seidel as a big name. I looked at Adam as a great wrestler, but he was never like. A, are like you Kofi? Big... Are you Kofi Kingstoning Matt Seidel? Maybe I am, <laughs> and I apologize for that. Just a solid hand who's yeah, always there. Yeah, just a good hand, right? Maybe I am. First time I ever saw Matt Seidel was actually on Wrestling, wrestling Society X. Mm, yeah. Right. Before he was ever even born, I saw him on that. And Can like, we talk about how old we all are that we remember Wrestling Society X. Yes. <laughs> word, word to Ricky Banderas. <laughs> if you know, you know. Uh, so, yeah. Yeah. Um, Matt Seidel definitely, um, you know, we're glad that he was able to catch himself because yes. that could have been dangerous. Like, that could have been bad, bad. Yeah. Yeah. So that was an accident that's completely understandable. What happened to Matt Hardy is, look, I don't even want to speak on it. You, if, by this point, you know you know. I just want to get the, I, the, the opinion of a guy who was in the stadium watching the show. How did you feel about what happened? What did you, what would, did you perceive in real time? Because, you know, in this, everything in the stadium, we've all been to multiple shows. It's drastically different than how it is at home, right? So how did you perceive the spot or what happened or the fact that the match got started back? Like, what was your what were your thoughts on the whole situation with him and Sammy Guevara? Yeah, that was a, a very scary spot. And as soon as it happened, you just saw Matt wasn't moving, face turning purple. And immediately I knew, I was like, man, this guy has to be concussed. He's out of it. And so at that point, I was concerned. I was like, man, Matt is really hurt here. Um, and then obviously, you know, they, they threw the X up, they stopped the match, but then Matt's still trying to fight. He's still trying to fight Sammy. 
Um, and then eventually they end up restarting the match and doing the planned finish. And so I know there was a lot of speculation on people like, oh, was that was that a work to get to this spot and all this stuff? And I was like, there was absolutely no way. Like that man was out on his feet. He was out, you know, a good 40 seconds before Aubrey even tried the 10 count. Um, and then and then threw the X up. And you I could think, tell from the way she was cradling his head. Yeah. Um, and I think a lot of people in the crowd were concerned ab- about Matt and the whole situation. And it definitely um, brought the energy down, level down uh, for the show going forward. And I just think in those situations, I think once the X is thrown up, I think the match needs to stop. It should not be restarted. And I, I know they said he got saw by the dock and did the protocol. I don't care. Like, there's not en- enough protocol. There's not enough time for you to go back into action. What you just said is super important. He was seen by the doc. That part we saw. That is true. All right? They did not lie about the doctor being there. But concussion protocol, like actual protocol, that's at least a five to ten minute exam. That's not a, all right, he's good, he's good, it's cool, move. What happened, see, here's what I think, and I know I'm projecting here, but, like, here's what legitimately what I think. Tony Khan doesn't want to come out and say this, but here's what I saw happen. Aubrey threw up the X. She brought in the doctor. She tries to call off this match. Matt wakes up. Matt is an old-school attitude-era blade job, jump off 50-foot surface veteran. He's up and moving and knows that there was a match happening. Matt pulls power play, overrules Aubrey, and restarts the match. Sammy, much younger, much less experienced, much less pull in the locker room, not fixing to tell Matt no, does the job like he's fucking supposed to. I think that a lot of what happened, because I agree with y'all, I think that match should have been pulled, like, done, done. But I think a lot of what happened was Matt woke up and did what he thought he's supposed to do because of the type of era he grew up in, and nobody else involved in the match was experienced enough or veteran enough to just be like, no, bro, sit the fuck down. We're done. That's interesting because yeah. Tony himself said, I, I started it back. So, and, and this, I don't want to just have this on a, on a trash Tony Khan session, but there's a lot, there's a lot of inconsistencies with things he's saying compared to things that we can see with our own eyes. And like the dude straight up said, Hey, well, he doesn't have a concussion. He's out the hospital. When his wife said he has a concussion. Like I know Reby isn't the most believable human being, but like, I always believe a person's spouse over their boss, you know? So like, there's a lot of inconsistencies in the situation that, and that if he is proven to be lying or covering up or, or anything other than telling the truth could hurt his standing. So I hope that he's not being a typical promoter and telling the truth. Because if what Kyle said happened, which makes the most sense to me, I can't see why two grown men who 
One owns three sports leagues, and the other is one of the preeminent, like, concussion doctors in the business. We'll let that dude continue a match. Like, I can't see how they'll do it willingly unless he wouldn't stop, and they had to keep going along with it to make it work because they're on live tape. So I, it's, 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 it's just... I could just... I could see... It felt like, to me, like... Not in all the same, but it felt to me like when Mick went flying off the cell and he got off the stretcher and was just like, "Now fuck this, I'm gonna finish this match." Yes, there's two. There's two, two things. I like two points. I just wanted to make about it. Like one, and it kind of first one piggybacks off you a little bit, Kyle. It, it's very reminiscent of if that's what happened, where Matt was like, "No, no, we're gonna keep doing this match." It's pretty much reminiscent of every athlete that considers themselves to be an alpha male in general. I mean, you can pretty much see how these guys are up until they really put a real concussion protocol on the NFL. If you got your helmet knocked off and went to the sideline, these guys are arguing and yelling at coaches to get back in the game 99% of the time. That's just the mindset and how they are. And it's actually, I wouldn't even say it's necessarily an old school thing. I think it's still pretty common to this day. Um, the other thing is, and this is probably me just railing on billionaires, but, you know, the whole idea that, I mean, I, I know Tony probably cares about his employees, but these guys are still businessmen and they're billionaires. And the bottom line is always money. You know, at a lot of times, I'm not saying that's necessarily how it is, but I think that plays a factor, you know, it, it, when you're trying to protect and spin and clean up things when this kind of stuff happens, you know what I mean? Tony's trying to say something to get the publicity to go, the the bad publicity, so to say, to go, so to speak, to go away. And I think that's just a particular tactic that businesses do. They try and spin things however they can. Well, and also think of it this way, Rance, because you're saying like, if what I was saying happened, happened, why would Tony continue to spin it? So what I'm, I'm going to admit on national television and to the media that I have no control over my own employees. You're right. You're absolutely right. I'm about to cop to these. I'm about to cop to the media, especially the wrestling media that I can't control my people. Oh, no, 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 no. I I I would rather they think I'm negligent. I feel you on that. But, and I mean, Jeremy, correct me if I'm wrong. I would rather be thought of as he can't control his all those people with the new promotion, then be thought of as almost criminally negligent. Because if Matt Hardy is severely injured, like that could be a real issue. Like, you know, from from a I, I don't like there are some states where they would they would pull this promoter card for that. Right? Like yeah. there's like what's the jersey that they can't do? They can't bleed or whatever it is. And they gotta have the prom- like well, there's there some states. Couple, that- I was gonna say there are a couple states where pile drivers are illegal. Yeah. So like New Orleans. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Well, there you New go. Orleans. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> if it wasn't for if it wasn't for Luke Hawks, half of the indie shows wouldn't be able to go on. So I just I would rather being a billionaire again that owns three major sports teams and sports leagues. I don't. I mean, what do you think? Yeah, I, I definitely think the issue here is probably. I think there's some the protocol has to be looked at and kind of and Doc Doc Sampson, I think his name is, and so 
because obviously he's Matt. He saw Matt and cleared Matt to to finish the match and climb on that scaffolding and do that and that finish the match and do the, the play and finish. And so obviously we, we can kind of speculate on what might have happened. Also, we don't know a hundred percent what happened, who calling what, and kind of what was going on behind the scenes, but. Definitely something needs to be done. They need to, need to tighten up the protocol, and it needs to be one of those things where if it looks like a guy has a concussion and they throw the X up and they call a match, that needs to be end of story right there. Match needs to be over. They need to take that person immediately to the hospital, get the MRI checks, the CAT scans, all that stuff, and get them checked out. And then at a later time, you could redo the match. You know, you call it a no contest. Oh. So I know, I know one of the big deals here was Matt's career was on the line. If he lost, he had to leave AEW. Clearly, that wasn't the plan, but you know, they could have done a no contest and just say, hey, this is with, we're throwing it out. Um, you know, Matt got seriously injured um, and then redo the match down the line if he's healthy to compete. Um, so, obviously, Matt Hardy, he's going to be on Dynamite tomorrow night, so I'm sure we'll get a little bit more kind of clarity on, on how he's doing in the situation there, but yeah, it's definitely weird. You know, you have Rebby coming out saying stuff and Tony's coming out saying stuff and other reporters saying stuff. So there's a lot of kind of he says, she said kind of stuff flowing out around there. So I'm interested in what he says on Dynamite, but I also know that 99% of it is going to be work. So I don't know if it's going to be worthwhile in terms of answering any questions because he's not going to go out there and 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 <clears throat> just shoot on what really happened. It's, that's just not the business. Not well, no, because they're promoting it. I mean, they're yeah. really promoting it, so that's not going to happen. I do yeah. think it's interesting, though, with Rebby, though, just we can brush it, we can move on after this. I do think it's interesting, though, like, in Tony Khan's position here, if even if you are trying to do spin control on a specific thing that happens like that, you're 100% doing it with the wrong person because Rebby yeah. is 100%. Like, that, you know, you might be able to pull that off with somebody else, but Rebby, man, you know whatever <laughs> happens, she's going to be in there, so... I guess we'll Rebby, see. She's full on high blooded Latina. That's not the one you want to mess with, yo. Um, <laughs> so speaking of high blooded Latinas, look at my journalism tonight. Um, Jeremy, what shirt did you have on at All Out? I had on a Holy Sheeta shirt for the AEW Women's Champion Hikaru Sheeta. And that AEW Women's Champion faced off with the NWA Worlds uh, Champion. Rosa. Thank you for that. I can't roll my tongue, so I appreciate that. <laughs> um, the match didn't really have a lot of build, but I feel like it was instantly the second you had that promo with Thunder Rosa. Instantly it felt big because you have, very rarely in big promotions do you have another promotions champion coming in to challenge your world champion. So I think that was dope. Both of them are great wrestlers. Speak to the match, what you thought about it. I know Sheeta won. It would have been weird, probably, if if Thunder Rosa was not even signed to the promotion, won the title. But you know, strange things I'd have happened. I've been here for it. Stranger <laughs> things have happened, right? Apparently, I don't, Gianna, I don't even hate Sheeta. I just love Rosa. Apparently, Gianna Perazzo isn't even still inside Impact. So, like, strange <laughs> things have happened. But talk to me about the match. Yeah, overall, I thought it was a really good match. I thought that they were. A, in a difficult position coming off of the whole Matt Hardy situation and the crowd kind of being down and concerned and it was kind of on them to kind of get the crowd back and to get some energy and so I thought they worked a really hard and had a really good match um, um, they didn't fully get the crowd back I don't think but I, I feel like if that 
if the Matt Hardy match had went as planned and then this same match had happened, I think the crowd would have been more into it, especially with a full arena. The crowd would have been super into it. It's probably one of the uh, better AEW women's matches that we've seen this year. I think all the AEW women's championship matches end up being really good. And yeah, Sheeta and Rosa just went out there, worked really hard. Uh, they gave Thunder Rosa a majority of the match. They made her look really strong. Um, and so obviously if, you know, NWA and AEW want to keep doing business, you know, kind of a good business move there, made their champion look strong, gave their TV time, put on their pay-per-view. So, you know, maybe down the line we'll see some more NWA, uh, AEW crossover. But, yeah, I thought it was a really good match. Like Kyle was saying, I would love to see more Thunder Rosa in NWA. And I know they haven't been able to do NWA power due to COVID. And so it's one of those things where it's like, well, if you're not doing power, I mean, let let Rosa wrestle on Dynamite until you guys get up. It wasn't just due to COVID. It's, yeah, it's due to Dave Lagana. Oh, yeah, like, <laughs> that's why. That's, yeah. <laughs> um, like, they had to push. Uh, they had to push the pause button while they took the trash out. That's the, yeah, literally. Um, the next match was, and we don't really have to go into it too deep, but I do have one particular question: was the eight man tag between the Dark Order, Mister Brody Lee, uh, Evil Uno, Studos, and you have I, I don't I don't know if we can call him part of the Dark Order, yeah. but but friend of the Dark Order, <laughs> Cole Cabana, Cole Cabana, um, versus uh, uh, Cardona, Scorp, and the Natural Nightmare. Look, shout out to Dustin Rose, man, five, five decades. That man wrestled in the eighties, bro. Yeah, yeah, yeah. That, I mean, that's impressive as shit. Um, he still looks good too. He still looks he's really still pretty good. damn good. Yeah, like that's what's yeah. crazy. He's that's still impressive good. as shit. Also, like before we get your thoughts, I just want to say this because I always want to take every moment to say it. Cole Cabana is just so fucking likable. Holds the men. <laughs> just so likable. It's hilarious you say that as I'm looking on the screen of Velveteen Dream comes out. So speaking of likable, unlikable. Yes. Uh, tell me what you think of the match, and more importantly, is Colt out of the Dark Dark Order without even being in the Dark Order? Because Brody was pissed. Yeah, and so obviously that's kind of been part of you know the whole Mr. Brody character. He gets you know frustrated when his men lose, and so this whole storyline has been him bringing Colt in and showing because Colt was on a losing streak before. And, you know, he kind of brought him in. Colt started winning when he, you know, started teaming with the Dark Order. And so, in a way, Brody was kind of grooming Colt. Um, you know, he hadn't gotten an official number yet. And, and I don't think he was a considered official member. But, obviously, he was out there teaming with them. And, obviously, you know, on Dynamite, when any of the, the bad stuff was going down, Mr. Brody made sure to sh- kind of shoo Colt away so he didn't see the, the dirty work that the, the Colt was doing. Um, and so, I thought this match was fine. I really didn't feel like it was a pay-per-view worthy match. It was kind of just a thrown together yeah. eight man tag. Like this should have been on dynamite. And it's, it's one of those weird things where we see now, especially uh, kind of across the board where companies will use pay-per-views to build TV instead of using TV to build pay-per-views. And so obviously coming out of this match, it was essentially this match was an angle to set up Dustin versus Brody Lee this week for the TNT title, where I feel like maybe they could have, flip-flopped it, done the eight-man tag on Dynamite, and then had Brody and Dustin on the pay-per-view for the TNT title. Or Yes to that, but B, do they really need to build anything to have Dustin face Brody for the TNT title after Brody and the Dark Order laid his brother the fuck out? 
Right. This ain't New Japan. You can't just call out and come out and say, "Hey, I'm going for the title." You can't just come out and point. No. <laughs> Um, you know, also, I feel like maybe they could have done the Cody match at the pay per view, and then the follow up could have been all right now. Nightmare Family's that, mad. that's the big move, that's the big angle. Because, like, let's be real here John Moxley might be the world champion, but Cody was the star of the show, so that's the real pay per view angle is Cody gets squashed like a bitch, and then the Dark Order demolishes the Nightmare Family. And the, the show fades to black. I, I, the only, my, the only, the only contention is: can you end the show with Moxley defending, no. and you, and you, and he doesn't end them in the night? No, you, know? you can't, and you can't make either of those things make sense. But that yeah. doesn't mean that's not what they should have done. Yeah, yeah, it would have been, it would have been dope, and Cody still could have filmed this show with this boy. So, um, yeah, it didn't feel, but I mean. AEW doesn't really have this often, so that's to their credit. With all the pay per views, they don't really have seem like they have filler matches. But I mean, like if you grew up watching the regular WWE, ECW, WWE, WCW, TNA, was it was always match. it was always a match where you you got to go pee. They're gonna do some hard work, and you know, but it's not really important. Well, um, and it's fitting that this was the bathroom match because Zack Ryder was in it. Ah. Um, <laughs> I didn't say it. That was Kyle. That but, wasn't me. Um, that no, was Kyle. No, but for Not real, wrong. Um, but for real, for real. Um, to answer your other question, Rance, about is Colt out of the Dark Order without ever being... No. No. This is the next phase in the evolution of Colt Cabana because now Brody can go back and say, see, we lost. You out here doing that bullshit again. And we lost, like you always lost. This why you can't be doing that bullshit. <laughs> can, can I can I give a live update, please? For those of you listening, we're recording this on Tuesday night, NSC Super Tuesday. You remember that big rant I had on Kushida the other the other week? Did they just job Kushida out to Patrick? No, Kushida came out and beat the holy living shit out of Patrick. Good. Yes. More Kushida, please. Yes. Less yes. Patrick, more Kushida. I don't know if you heard the show. Jeremy, but like I, I've never ever openly advocated for WWE to let a guy go. I was like, if you're not gonna use Kushida, just l- let him go. Let him do something. Literally, any other company in the world would be Please. lucky to have Kushida. He's too good to be used seven times in like six months. It's ridiculous. But apparently, he's in a story with Patrick, and we know not many people are like more likable as Kushida. So I mean, to, I'm sorry, my bad. Um, I just you. I don't know if you saw my face, but I was shocked that they let Kushida get over for once. Um, Perfect guy to use. I mean, it's a sidetrack, but I don't think Jeremy will ever be mad at Kushida praise. No, that he's Kushida, I definitely think he should be used more. So yeah, glad he's getting a little program there. All right, now we got to talk. Now we got to talk about the heartstring pull match. We got FTR and Hangman and Kenny. Oh. There's so much here, right? There's, there's, this, this is one of those matches and one of those feuds and one of those stories when people, if anybody has any negative thing to say about AEW and storytelling, this, if they, if they can do this for sure, this is the best story in professional wrestling. 
with the elite and and Hangman and Hangman and Kenny and FTR coming and kind of seeping in and breaking up the band and they're getting Tully and are there going to be four horsemen or not? And what did you think of the match? Clearly, I think it was a classic as any Hangman and, and Kenny match is. But what do you think of the match? FTR leaves with the belts. Um, I believe... Correct me if I'm wrong, because I missed—I think I missed this on the show. But didn't Kenny and the Bucks leave afterwards? Or so, was that on TV? Kenny? Oh, yeah, Kenny up, yeah, Kenny ended up storming out. So he, he stormed to the back. He he saw the Bucks. He's like, you know, I'm I'm leaving. Are you coming with me? Like, you got to make a choice. Are you are you with me or not? And so then he Kenny ended up riding off by himself. Mm-hmm. Yeah, so break it down, man. What did you think of the match? What do you think of the story? Do you? Clearly, the next route is Bucks FTR. That there's no that's next, right? Right. Uh, but I mean, there's there's so much here to talk about. I'm just let you take the take the take the wheel. Yeah. So overall, I, I love the whole you know elite kind of breakup story that they've been doing pretty much since day one, and just the character development they've done for Hangman Page and kind of where that's taken him and how he's gotten over and then the whole Kenny Hangman and also we've got the Bucks um, Hangman Omega Match Revolution, one of the best tag team matches uh, of the year. And so they're doing a lot of great storytelling. Also, you know, being the elite, there's a lot of great stuff there as well. Um, overall, I did not think this match was a classic. Um, there was a lot of build going into it. It was a lot of hype. Um, you know, if people were expecting this to be a match of the year uh, candidate before the match even started the crowd erupted in this is awesome chance but that was literally it like once the match got started I never felt like the crowd really got into the match um, there's a, a few spots here and there but they kind of died and there was they just weren't really into the match and I think it was really long the match was like about 30 minutes I think it went too long I feel like they could have told us that story that they were trying to tell that night in a short time they could have gone 15 to 20 minutes uh, maybe they went long to cover up for, you know, not having the full Hardy match. Uh, okay. But I just felt like there was just something about the match that just didn't quite work out. Like, I just felt like, I think part of it, too, was FTR there. They're working that kind of Southern tag style and that they're trying to get heat. But they weren't really getting heat from the crowd. And even, like, the, the wrestlers <laughs> were at, at ringside as, you know, the front row fans, even they weren't really into the match and giving them like the booze and the heat they were looking for. So I feel like this match was definitely hurt by just the lack of reaction and the lack of the crowd energy into it. I think that some of that, <clears throat> excuse me, you're right. It is that they're right wrestling that like Southern tag style, but I think a problem that FTR runs into, especially on AEW's roster where the talent is more freed up to just wrestle whatever the fuck style they want to wrestle. Um, FTR does not do high spots. Like they don't do high spots. Their whole thing is no flips, just fists. So like, they're not a high spot team. That's why they're awesome, by the way. (laughs) And well, I mean, it's one of the things I, it's something I've grown to appreciate about them because like high spots are the candy of wrestling. And like, we have such a sugar high all the time now. Um, But I think that in AEW, it really stands out that they don't do high spots because so many of the other teams are high spot heavy. 
And so when you've got them in the ring with a team like Hangman and Kenny, and like Kenny does high spots, but Kenny's another one. He's a methodical wrestler. Kenny wants to wrestle a very methodical pace and tell you a story. And he can pick that up and he can tell it to you very quickly, but he still wants to tell you a story in the way that he wants to tell it. And so, like, I just think that that as a combination was bound to disappoint the AEW fan base. Um, but I also think Jeremy's on to something. I think they were the ones that were given extra time because Matt and Sammy had to get cut so short by Matt's injury. I think they looked at the four of them and were just like, y'all are four of our ring generals. Y'all are in a match that has the most build. You guys can just take, you know, eight extra minutes. But does, doesn't that scare you for the potential FTR and Young Bucks match? Because to you, both of your points, FTR is a very slow-paced, methodical, old-school tag team built up to the crescendo kind of guys. Hangman and Kenny are the closest you're going to get to that. When they wrestle the Young Bucks, and the Young Bucks, to their credit, have shown they can do that style, by and large, that's not what they do. So like, I'm not worried about it because I'm not worried about it because of the DIY matches. In terms of like, you want to talk about, especially okay. at that point in Johnny Gargano's yeah. wrestling okay. career, he was very much a sugar rush wrestler, and like it was all go all the time. Um, Cash and what the fuck is Dawson calling himself yeah. now? That's yeah. There we go. Yeah, whatever. FTR. Um, FDR don't do high spots, not because I think they're incapable. I'm not sure Dax is capable. Like, that knee brace is real, real thick. <laughs> but, like, I think Cash could do high spots. I just think that that's not their thing. And I think that the Bucks will get enough high spots out of them that it won't matter. Also, the Bucks, much like the New Day and the Usos, will carry you to a good match if it kills them, if, like, the build is there. Was it possible also that, like, you know, FTR, once they want to be the champs, they are the champs, they want to hold on to those titles. Also possible, you never know, that they might be out of desperation. They might even do a damn high spot just to make sure they hold on to those belts. You see stuff like that happen with big men or guys who don't yeah. typically do high spots a lot where they're like, I can't win. I got to find a way to win. Let's just try this shit one time, you know, and that happens some. So Well, they, they do the powerplex. Right. So, right. like, they, they do some things that do get you excited, but by and large, they're trying to wrestle, wrestle by hook or by crook. Use a, another big story that FTR has been telling as a tag team is they use the tag rules. The other tag teams don't adhere to the tag rules. They hold the tag ropes. They adhere to the five or the ten count, whatever it is, Nate, because I know it varies depending on the match. So, that may be a part in it. I am, I see your point. Um, I see your point. I wasn't able to really focus on this match as much as I wanted to. I had company over Saturday uh, with for my kid, for my daughter. So like her cousins were here, and it was just a mess. So it was in the background, and I was paying attention, but I wasn't get, didn't get a chance to really delve into it. But I enjoyed what I saw. But again, I will always defer to a person in the crowd because wrestling essentially is for the people in the in the arena, right? right. We just happen to see it. On TV, so if that's how it came off to you, then hey, I'll, I'll I agree with them. Um, yeah. 
I agree with them even when I was watching it until they did the dragon screw spot with Kenny like the entire first like seven minutes of the match just felt very much like so are we jogging in place what are we doing here yeah it just felt like it was maybe a little bit too slow and things were a little bit too drawn out especially on already you know a four-hour show we're outside in Jacksonville heat we're you know we're losing energy we're fading and then for them to try and pull off, you know, this 30-minute classic, it just didn't work. Like, at the end of the day, it was still a very good match. But with Hangman and Kenny and FTR, there was so much hype for this match. Like, people were expecting this to be match of the year candidate, tag team match of the year. And it just didn't quite get there. I think in different circumstances, I think different card placement, a full crowd, an inside arena... I think a lot of different factors could have this match probably on different any any other night probably could have been that match of the year um, level, but there's a lot of factors that are just working against it this night. So another pacing issue. Yeah. Um, we can put a bow on the card with actually both of these matches because I know we're gonna have a lot to talk about both of them, but we're at the end of the card anyway. The main events of the show were the Orange Cassidy Chris Jericho Mimosa Mayhem match and the Moxley MJF world title match shout out to homeboy that tackled the shit out of that kid yeah like, he did like you might tony might want to call him for the jaguars like maybe he needs to play special teams that was very very well done yeah we um had a great view of that guy getting tackled uh by, yeah y'all went too far yeah we literally saw because we're, we're watching you know we're, we're waiting for mox to come out then you know mox is walking down all of a sudden this dude's just trying to button run, bum rush him and then the guy just boom takes him down like <laughs> man <laughs> um, so talk to me about those two. I mean, do you want to, I, I don't, I mean, we're an hour and 15 minutes in, so I don't want to, you know, we've spent a lot of time on a lot of these matches. Uh, the, the Orange Cassidy, Chris Jericho matches kind of cut. It is what it is. Jericho lost as he should. Orange Cassidy has officially been put over. We see where he goes from here because the only next step in my opinion is dude should get a title shot at this point. Like he's one of two people. I think to pin Jericho, maybe three. Yeah, I think it's um, three. I know uh, Scorp rolled him up in a tag match. Who's the other? Oh, and is it Moxley? Yeah. Okay. Um, so that's a big deal. I don't know if you have any thoughts on that match. I do want to talk about the MJF uh, Moxley match, though, if you have nothing else on Jericho and Cassidy. Yeah, I mean, it, it was a fine match. It was fine for what it was. I know there's a lot of people, especially a lot of hardcore fans, that weren't a big fan of it because of the stipulation, but I thought it was fine. Clearly, it was designed so that Jericho didn't get pinned and that Orange Cassidy could win. I, I thought it, it worked for the rivalry. I thought it was fine. Um, it wasn't like a blow-away match or anything, but it worked for that situation. I guess now the, the key is going to be the follow-up. What happens with Orange? Is he just going to you know just continue just being, you know, a manager with best friends, or like you mentioned, it's going to start getting title matches. I think probably the most sense would probably to throw him in a program maybe with Brody Lee for the TNT title. Yep, I'd that agree. would be. I think that would be the best next step for him. Um, but you know, it's always funny to me when people, when wrestling fans, especially longtime wrestling fans, complain about a match stipulation. It's always hilarious to me because I'm just like, y'all. This is the same industry that gave us Judy Bagwell on a pole. Forklift. Gave, gave, Forklift. Us, gave us feast or fired matches. Uh, it, was, it was a San Francisco 49er match where they had like the four crates 
yeah. in the corners, and the title fell out the crate when Booker T went to go get it. The boiler room brawl, like, like this is the yeah. same industry that has brought us all kinds of absurdity. So, like, miss me with that. Oh, but the gimmick. Yeah, it, it ended up being fun, so... Yeah, I'm, I'm more interested in what's what's the follow up here with with Orange Cassidy and even Jericho. Like, where does Jericho go next? Like, does, that's to uh, the commentary booth to replace Jim Ross because Jim doesn't have it anymore. <laughs> what, what do you feel about Jim Ross? Because because I, I know Jim Ross is a legend and the analogy like, I used for him on our show last week was that like he's a good example of sports legends from any other sport where they can go at an all-star level for a really, really long time. But once they've hit that wall and they don't have it, the decline is rapid. Yeah. I think the issue with, with Jim Ross, I think he's just used to calling a certain style and he definitely has his things as an old school guy, things that he likes and probably things he disagrees with. And I feel like the house style in AEW kind of goes against a lot of the things that he would believe in in a traditional sense. And so I think for him, a lot of times, it's trying to suck that up and call things that he probably wouldn't want to normally call, um, you know, all the high spots, a lot of some goofier stuff. And, you know, he's always talking about, you know, why aren't you going for the cover? Why aren't you going for the cover? And kind of emphasizing this, you know, different stuff like that. And so... I think that's the issue there. I don't, I don't think he he's fully in love with the AEW product. And I think, you know, obviously it's a job. He's trying to get a paycheck. But at the same time, you can kind of hear his annoyance at some of the stuff that he that he ends up calling. He is oh. what Jim Cornette would be doing if Jim Cornette would ever work with the Young Bucks. Just <laughs> sitting there the entire time cashing the check like, fuck you guys, fuck you guys, fuck you guys. <laughs> he's also a little bit, uh, he's spent too many years hanging around Jerry Lawler. Because he is a horny old man and he's yeah. known on television more than once. So, I mean, there's just a certain time, and I'm kind of with Kyle. Like, sometimes you just got to take old Yeller out back and uh, handle no, it. No, mm-hmm. you know, you bring up him being an old man, though. And, like, Jeremy, you bring up him not being fully in love with the product, and it's just kind of a job. But I firmly believe, and Rance agrees on this one, Jim's doing this because, like, He's got nothing. He's a widower. His wife has died, and he's burying himself in a job. That's possible. Yeah, sure. I could see that. I'm not mad at that. but I'm not mad a, at it, but it yeah. doesn't make him good at his job right now. Well, as a, as a guy who is the consensus best at what he's done, like, I, I, I don't believe in that you're killing your legacy, but he's killing his legacy. Like, it's, it's not only is it bad, but you pick the two companies that you went to since post WWE that are literally the antithesis of what you call, what you like, and what you and what you and like, and you know, you engulf. And on top of that, that's understandable. But then you do things like, you know, you you don't you mix up people's names that are just like completely hard to mix up, or you make Oriental jokes about the Joshis, or then the un. The unforgivable Anna J thing. That's not a that's not a funny joke. Oh, I wish you had a wardrobe malfunction. Like, bro, this is twenty twenty. This that's just yeah, it's not okay. Not cute, bro. It's not okay. Not and like it's not funny. Like I get it. She's beautiful. Everybody on the damn roster is, female wise. So like it's he's hurting himself in a lot more ways than just not calling good matches. He's protected. 
Shivani's great. Excalibur is really good with like explaining. He's almost in a sense Mike Tanea-ish in explaining right. the things that the other guys can't. They're good. Like he, he's good, but it's, I yeah. Um, Mox and MJF. I think MJF has always shown that the kid can go when he needs to go. He's always shown that he has all the talent in the world. They didn't go with MJF here. I think very clearly that they're going to the Wardlow feud coming up. And Wardlow is a very high prospect, in my opinion. Do you think the wrong man won? No, I think uh, Moxley was the right call here. Um, you know, they're just Moxley, he's a proven ratings draw. You know, one of the big guys they got from WWE, uh, especially, you know, he just won uh, number one at PWI 500. It was just a lot, a lot of buzz and a lot of just popularity behind John Moxley. I don't I think there's definitely a lot more they can get out of Moxley right now, especially still in a COVID era and you, you need ratings. Um, you know, we see the, the ratings, you know, discussion every Wednesday coming out. And so he's he's a ratings mover. Um, he's a big draw. So I, there, there's so many heels right now in AEW that he can work with. And, I mean, he can go probably you know, three, four, five more months, six more months with the title just because there are so many heels for him to work with. You could, there's a lot of compelling stories and programs they can do. And then also the fact, you know, you had Lance Archer winning yeah. winning the Battle Royal and obviously they're doing the big uh, the, the Wrestle Kingdom rematch they had in January. So that kind of tipped off the winner there. And so I think Mock's Archer rematch would be, was going to be great. And that's an, another interesting story they can tell there. So I think at this time, Mock is the right guy to go with. I love MJF. You know, he's a guy that kind of gets quoted as, you know, gets stuck in the, the promo guy box. But he's proven this match. He proved in the Jungle Boy match at Double or Nothing. Jungle he, Boy, great when, match. When, it, when, it's the, when bright lights are on him, he can go. He can go bell to bell. And I think down the line, he's definitely going to be a, a big star for this company. And I thought in a way, they did kind of protect him in the finish there because the whole stipulation was Mox wasn't allowed to use a paradigm shift. And obviously when the ref was distracted, Mox ended up using the paradigm shift. So technically, Mox using a legal move should have been a DQ and MJF should have won. So in a way, they protected, protected MJF in that way. And that's only his, his first law, first singles loss in the promotion so I think there's as long as they keep continue to follow up with MJF and kind of have him in that in that top mix, I think he'll be fine. Okay. Completely I mean, agree. All I'm gonna say, like I agree, I guess, on the MJF stuff. All I'm gonna say, and I've been kind of a broken record on this, I think John Moxley is better as a bridesmaid than as a bride. So like I'm for him losing that belt as quickly as possible. <laughs> the only question is, and Moxley definitely is, especially with the Ambrose character, is a tremendous chaser. The question is who who will be the guy to carry the company, and I think that with with Hangman and and Kenny in a tag team, with Cody kind of running the mid card, you know, I, that's the question is who will be that guy to do it. I think MJF had the gravitas to make it work, but I don't think maybe in the eyes of casuals or the eyes of people who aren't the most of diehards. And AW isn't really a show, a, a show for casuals. Cody's come out and said, we just want to focus on our base. But I, 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 I question if MJF and other, any other reason other than the storyline wise would have been the right guy, you know, and you can say the same for Archer. Archer looks great, has a mouthpiece. Jake Roberts is also a creepy old man, but Jake Roberts gives <laughs> a creepy vibe. 
to <laughs> like Archer Jake Roberts and it works. makes me Jake Roberts makes me physically uncomfortable. <laughs> but I don't I don't but I don't I don't know if he's the right guy either. That's that's the one question for me is who would be the right guy to take it off of Mox. I don't know the answer to that. Honestly, I think uh Kenny Omega would be the right guy. Because you know, it's we're almost coming up to a year now, the last time they faced off and the, the lights out match that Mox beat him. Um there was a lot of heat in uh into that rivalry and they only did that one match. And so I think Wait. Building to a second Mox um, Kenny match, actual sanctioned match that's not lights out for the title, and then you have Kenny kind of lift the belt off of him. Especially, you know, Kenny is one of the big, you know, core guys that they haven't re- really been pushing the singles role yet. I think that makes a ton of sense to get the belt on Kenny and push him, and then you can work a Kenny Hangman program for the title down the line. I'm here for it, and especially with the the um, allusions to the fact that Kenny's going back to the cleaner persona. I'm here for it. Um, speaking of the cleaner, boy, the journalism is hot tonight. Uh, New Japan. So you are the preeminent New Japan knowledge base that's not named Chris Charlton or Kevin Kelly or anybody that works for the company, right? You and Josh have the best New Japan podcast in the biz. Uh- so I want I kind of, one one of the reasons we have you on for among all the other reasons is you are kind of my personally and I I think I speak for both the other guys you and Josh are my New Japan gurus when there's something I don't understand I ask you when there's something I need to be explained I come to you when there's something that doesn't make sense you're the guys to kind of make it make sense to me I kind of want to get your thought on the state of New Japan they've kind of started back. Post COVID, they've had shows on both coasts now, not just in Japan, but New Japan Strong has kind of started off in uh, in, in California. But I mean, there have a lot of really weird booking decisions have happened that I give them the respect and the understanding of COVID happening, but Evil beating Naito and then losing back on like his second defense is a head scratcher. Um, you know the. The fact that they've complete all respect to Tai Chi and Zack Saber, who have history as a team. Suzuki, I'm not Suzuki going cool, but Zach you know, have, yeah. But having to put having to put um, Kota and Hiro and uh, and uh, Tanahashi together, yeah, Tanahashi, yeah. Um, and then having them like put over Tai Chi and Zack Saber multiple times. And then having no other tag division on either side. Well, well, one of the only other tags they had was broken up when Evil turned on Lij because that eliminated the like right? eight-time tag team champions, Evil and Sonata. Right. <laughs> Yo is hurt, so Sho is out here on his own right now. You know, it's, so Tama it's it's and T- Tama and Loa are still stateside. Tama getting drunk every day with the with the machine gun. Tama shaved a beard. Yeah. All right, like that's tripping me. me the fuck yeah. out to look at. So there's a lot of things going on right now. The G1 is like a few weeks away. There is no favorite. What could possibly be the main event of Wrestle Kingdom? We're normally able to kind of forecast some ideas six months, five months, four months out. So much in the air going on right now. King Switch is coming back to take over the Bullet Club from Evil who is the first Japanese leader of a Gaijin stable. A lot is going on. 
So kind of give me your idea, kind of give um, me, if you don't mind, and the fan base here who may not listen to Keeping It Strong Style, kind of give us an idea of the state of the company and where you think things are going and why you think some of the things have happened. Yeah, so coming back from, from COVID has definitely be, been a very kind of interesting time. Came back with the New Japan Cup. Um, I liked a lot of matches in the tournament. I thought a lot of guys worked really hard in that empty arena environment, especially guys like Suzuki and Nagata, just kind of having a brutal uh, strike fest. And I thought a lot of, of the empty arena matches, they worked the best with their ability. Then obviously all that led to the big, you know, evil turning on LIJ, joining Bullet Club, defeats Okada in the finals of the New Japan Cup, goes to Dominion, defeats Evil, brings in uh, Dick Togo as his new manager, and we're, we're off and running with Evil as um, the IWGP and Intercontinental Champion. Uh, if you guys have not listened to our show, we've talked weeks and weeks on why that was just not the best booking decision to put Evil as a champion. I mean, you have a guy who was pretty much, you know, a, a mid-carder, a guy that was in a, in a good tag team. There was no, you know, signs of the build and just kind of out of nowhere, just kind of thrusting him in the situation where you had who would be the least favorable person in his stable other than Bushi, who we don't even count <laughs> to push as a singles. Yeah. Right. Yeah. Just, yeah. You have a guy, evil. He, he's a fine wrestler, but he is just not proven at that main event level. They did. They've never tested him out on that level before. And so just kind of plucking him out of that kind of mid card and then just throwing him into the main event. Um, was was kind of a, a weird booking decision where there's so many different guys that are there in Japan that they could have done something different with. Um, but for whatever reason, Gato went with Evil. Um, and obviously, it, it ended up being a short-term thing, so he wins the title from Naito. We go to Summer Struggle in Jingu. Naito uh, ends up getting the title back. Um, and it's kind of a, a quick little short story they told there. And we, we normally see when a guy wins a title for the first time, especially when it's a heel, it usually ends up being a very short title run. Naito's first title run was very short. Jay White's first title run was very short. You look back and you see a lot of first-time IWGB champions usually end up only having one or no defenses in their first run. Um, so they're definitely trying to elevate Evil, get him on that level, and have a, another another star to make there. But... Um, and, and it's a hard, hard to tell because obviously with limited capacity fans right now, the fans are not allowed to cheer in Japan. They have this weird fan app thing they're doing that kind of pipes cheers in to the, the buildings right now. It's hard to tell if the evil thing really got over um, and if the fans actually see him as a draw and, and a main event star. And so that's something we're, we're going to see down the line uh, coming up. Um like you mentioned, also, too, in the tag team scene, we had a Golden Aces, uh, Tanahashi and Ibushi feuding with Dangerous Techers, uh, Saber and Tai Chi. And also that feud was happening pre-COVID, rolled in uh, post-COVID, uh, coming back here. And, you know, the, it was an interesting story because pre-COVID, the whole story was Ibushi um, was on a losing end. You know, he lost both nights on the Tokyo Dome, uh, January 4th and 5th. And, and, and Tanahashi was kind of the star of the tag team, getting the pins and kind of lifting Ibushi up. And then we come back from COVID, and Abushi's uh, the one that's winning, and Tanahashi's the one that's losing and kind of dragging the team down. And we saw this frustration, even the temptation of Abushi maybe wanting to turn on Tanahashi, um, but eventually kind of working together. But they still fail to regain the tag titles from Dangerous Tickers at Jingu. Um, but I think they're trying to tell a long play story here with Tanahashi and Abushi. I think we're going to see those two guys 
end up facing off against each other um, at Wrestle Kingdom come uh, January fourth, twenty twenty one. That's a, that's a hell of a match. If Ibushi turns heel, you know what the real reason is now. If Ibushi turns heel, the real reason is because his lover isn't there to comfort him anymore. <laughs> you you saw my man guy gain like twenty pounds of muscle mass. He ain't got shit to do but wrestle and work out. Cause Kenny yeah. gone. Kenny gone, so he's trying to get swole. I have a, I have a quick question for you, Jeremy, because I don't really I don't follow New Japan that much. But you mentioned. Um, that the fans weren't able, aren't allowed to cheer right now, I guess, because of, I'm assuming it's the COVID related. Um, and so you said you weren't sure if the whole thing with evil was getting over or not necessarily. Right. Do, you think, do you think that because of the fact that the fans can't cheer and they're piping in cheers or whatever the crowd reactions they want, do you think that that actually is the perfect time to do stuff like this, experiment with things like someone like that and, if it's going to work, I know it's hard to gauge whether it works or not, but do you think it's a good, like that is, it's a bad time to do something like this or is it more of a good time to say, Hey, let's try some different things out while we're in this strange new reality that we live in currently. You know what I mean? Yeah, I can definitely see arguments on both sides, but at the end of the day, I think it's, it wasn't the best time to try it out. Cause it's one of those things. It's like, all right, if, if you want to test the guy, you want to see if they're going to be able to draw. You're going to want to see sure. if they're going to be able to, to draw heat and get crowd reactions. And so in a time where we have limited capacity, fans are not allowed to. They're only really allowed, allowed to clap. They just started testing the fan app thing, and it's not 100% really working. So it's, it's like you're doing this experiment, but you don't really know if it actually worked or not. And so you're thinking, oh, yeah, you know, we pushed evil, and you know, we think it's great. And then when you get to a point where you can have full capacity buildings and maybe you don't sell out or – the crowd are not into his as matches, and it's like, oh, we thought this worked out, but it didn't. Um, That's the part that scares me the most, is the last thing that you just mentioned, is Evil is a three-and-a-half-star match on a good night. And I worry that he doesn't have the work rate necessary to get over with that crowd long-term, because work rate matters to the Japanese audience. Right, especially in New Japan, as you know, build as you know, king of sports, and it's definitely more about the in ring. The stories are told more in ring than you know, say angles or promos. They definitely they have those things, but definitely in ring is very important part of the aspect of New Japan pro wrestling. So when you have it, like you mentioned, a guy like Evil, who's traditionally not knowing for having these blow away matches, um, and you look back at past IWGP title matches, you're talking about Okada Omega, Okada Tanahashi. You know, um, Omega Ishii and all these great epic, you know, matches that we get. He's just not on that level. Um, so yeah, it was interesting that you know, ended up you know going with him in that situation. My my reasoning for it that made sense in my head was the story was always going to be evil turns on Lij and leaves. It's just because they needed a hook to keep people invested since there's no fans and things are kind of in flux. They said, screw it. We'll break the internet and we'll just give it the title to a guy and break all protocol that we've done for years well, and, and kill two birds with one stone and do two angles at the same time. Well, and to be fair, bullet club needed a leader because like right now they got the bullet club B team in Japan. Dog. They, they ran, they ran a real angle with you, Jiro and Okada. <laughs> 
Yeah, like they treat Mujiro like a big fucking deal. That is how bottom of the barrel of the Bullet Club we're scraping in Japan. Right, and Bullet Club is definitely still a very big brand in Japan. Bullet Club shirts still sell like hotcakes, and so Bullet Club's a brand that they still want to protect. And so with Bullet Club being a mainly, you know, Gaijin faction, and you have, you know, Jay White's here in the States, G.O.D., El Fantasmo, Kenta, a lot of the mainstays and the main foreigner guys are here in the States. And then stateside, you had Jado and Gato, Yujiro Takahashi, Taiji Shimori, um, you know, with Taiji probably being the best, you know, worker out of all those guys and the only kind of standout that they had in Japan. So to kind of keep that Bullet Club brand alive, they had, they had to do something uh, to give it some buds. And so... Taiji is Taiji beat Hiromu. Yeah, that's right. Yeah, summer struggle. Yeah, Hiromu with the promos of the fucking summer, though. Hiromu. (laughs) Why even? Why? (laughs) And that's another great thing this summer is yeah the elevation of Hiromu. We saw him in New Japan Cup getting to wrestle some heavyweights, wrestling um, Hanma Ishii and Nagata. Um, he got a title shot against Evil at uh, Sengoku Lord, and so very interesting to see. Like, yes, they they had the Evil thing going, but also too some of the other guys have been pushing, like Hiromu, gain the shots to wrestle heavyweights and be in more main events, and so it's definitely making you think that they're t- going to invest more in Hiromu on the line. Oh, they definitely are. Hiromu's a license to print money. Yeah, yeah. absolutely. But especially the- with the Japanese crowd, like they love his shit. But that really goes against a lot of what New Japan does because that's the reason Kushida left. He could they wouldn't move him to heavyweight. They don't move a lot of guys who are who are known as juniors to heavies very often. I mean it's all hands on deck right now, but you know, that that is interesting that if they move a Romo up like this when you know you have guys who've been trying to get up for years that they didn't move. It's interesting. Right. And I think it's just what very special performers. I mean, you look at guys like uh Will Ospreay and Shingo Takagi there are two juniors that got elevated to heavyweight. Shingo ain't no damn junior, bro. Shingo ain't no damn. Shingo bigger than me, and I'm 300 pounds. Like, <laughs> uh, so a guy like Hiromu, he's super charismatic. Um, you know, I think that's one thing that hurt Kushida in New Japan is just he just wasn't as you know. He's definitely a great technician, but Hiromu's super charismatic. Like Kyle's mentioned, he has great promos. He just has that fan connection. Plus, he has the great matches. He just has, he's just a well-rounded guy, a well-rounded superstar for them. And so I could definitely see them down the line pushing him, um, having him elevate into the heavyweight division. I know right now it's kind of hard because with the junior division, you don't have many juniors because the junior division is also built up with a lot of foreigners. You have foreigners that come in from the U.S., from the U.K., from New Zealand, and kind of fill out that junior division. And right now, it's you only really got like Hiromu and Taiji, um, you got Taguchi, you got Master Wato, um, Despi, and Kanamaru, and that's that's about it. You really don't have a, a big junior division that you would normally have. Yeah. The other thing that Hiromu has working in his favor is Hiromu is still very much riding the wave of goodwill from returning from his neck injury. Right. Like, everyone is still very, that is still fresh enough in our heads that everybody's just like, I'm so glad you can still walk. <laughs> yeah. yeah, let alone do the stuff you do in the ring. Mm-hmm. Um, G1 coming up. Um, you mentioned that you're that you believe that it might be Ibushi versus Tanahashi at Wrestle Kingdom. Okay, mm-hmm. 
So that would eliminate them from winning the G1, I would assume. Yeah. Because I don't, I don't know if we're going to do a double down, right, whatever it was called. Double, double, double dash. Thank you. Thank you. So that would eliminate those guys. Is this a situation of when in doubt, break glass for Okada? Is this one of those moments? Or do, do we see a dark horse? Because I have a dark horse uh, guy who probably won't win it, but will make some noise. But who? I want to know who you think is kind of in your eyes is there or they might be pushing to. So, and maybe this is just a wishful thing on my part, but my guy that I think is kind of the favorite to win, obviously the blocks are not released yet, but I think Shingo Takagi has a really great chance of winning the G1. Um, you know, he's a little bit older, but it's still an incredible performer, and that would just be a fresh matchup. You can do uh, Shingo versus Naito at the Dome for the titles, uh, kind of that interfaction warfare of LIJ, and I think that'd just be a great matchup to to do at the Tokyo Dome. Um, I don't know if they're going to go that direction, but he's a guy I think um, you know everybody loves Shingo, incredible performer. I think he'd be able to mix it up. Um, I do think there's a good chance that Okada could end up winning it. I mean, Okada's kind of been just treading water since they've came back from COVID. It really hasn't done anything interested. It really hasn't been you know putting out you know the top tier matches that he's normally putting out, and so. Um, doing Okada Naito again at uh, the Tokyo Dome could make sense, especially we don't even know if like by the time January comes what the capacity level would be for a Tokyo Dome. Are they even going to be allowed to do the show at the Tokyo Dome? We have no idea what they want to do, but obviously Okada Naito's a match that still draws, and this time you would have a different story because you would have Naito coming in as a champion, and you would have Okada coming in as a challenger, which we've never really seen before. Um, so you could have that kind of different dynamic and you could have Naito finally beat Okada as a champion or you could have Okada end up winning the title back. So th- there's definitely that story they can do there. Um, I, I don't know if he's going to win, but I mean, Tanahashi is another guy you can't count out just because um, Naito and Tanahashi is a, is a story that they were slowly teasing pre-COVID. And so if Tanahashi doesn't win, I think he'll definitely beat Naito on one of the night the G1 to set up a defense leading yeah. into the Tokyo Dome. Um, and I, I know I, I'm thinking Tanahashi Abushi, but there is also a chance Abushi could win too, just for the fact that he did win G1 last year, but his G1 kind of got overshadowed by the whole double gold dash thing. And he never got, you know, his kind of spotlight moment and build. So you could kind of have that um, Ibushi win the title again. And then also, we you know, Abushi and Naito have a crazy rivalry in history and that's something you could do in the dome as well. Agree completely. I think those are all great choices. If we were going, in my opinion, if you were going to use this G one to push a new star, right? And I love the Chingo pick. I would have never thought it. I love that pick. Naito has even gone on record of saying, "When I am not over Lij, I want Chingo to be the guy to do it. Chingo won't be here for long." Um, but. Uh, if everybody, they have access to everybody. I I know we're not a fan of this guy personally, but Will Ospreay is primed to be, to move up and be pushed heavily. Fuck Um, Will Ospreay. If you're going to push a former junior, push show. Fuck Will Ospreay. Yeah, I know. You know, push show. Yeah, I know Ospreay definitely, you know, with him coming out in the whole like speaking out situation, everything that's going on there, you know, there's a lot of people 
especially for good reason, not not a fan of Osprey. I'm not a fa- excited for the fact of him potentially being in G1. That's the thing, too. We don't even know what the situation is with outsiders in the G1 right now. There is rumors that a couple outsiders were able to somehow get into Japan in quarantine and will be a part of the G1. Osprey is one of those rumored guys that could potentially be in it. Um, like you mentioned, Rance, last year, the whole elevation of Osprey, we saw with the whole uh, the whole beating Shingo um, going on to win Best of Super Juniors and title. And then um, he was also never champion last year. Russell Cobb and Madison Square Garden uh, had the match with Hiromu this year, the Dome. Um, you know, clearly he's somebody that they have positioned to be one of their top kind of guys and kind of take that Kenny Omega role. So if they, and that's, that's a fresh matchup. I don't think we've ever really seen Naito and Osprey in a singles match. So, I mean, if they feel that confident that, they're ready to put Osprey in a Tokyo Dome main event that they could do that. He's, he's just a name that nobody's talking about, but he did. He's done well last year. He was in all three of the major tournaments and did great in all three of them. Right. So I'm just, I'm just thinking of, of, of possible names because there is, like you said, there is no, Oh, this is his year. Like, the only one that you can understand is Ibushi because he didn't get his moment last year. But as you say, we're teasing Ibushi-Tanahashi. That's a great match for the Dome because Tanahashi isn't, I don't think we're going to see many more, if any more, world championship matches in the Dome with Tanahashi. I think we're past that stage at this point. It's a great secondary uh, secondary match to kind of help build the card and, 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 build and sell the show. So I'm just I'm, that's the one thing that I've been trying to figure out because much like when it's November December going into the Rumble, people are thinking who's going to win the Rumble. Going into August September, who's going to so I, I I can dig Shingo and I can dig Shingo and Naito. I really can. Like the match will be fire, the build will be fun. I can dig that. Yeah, so, so yeah, that'd be a great story. Anybody else got any New Japan matches before we sit and we try to pretend to be lawyers? No, let's talk law. <laughs> um, so, God, it's been, a, it's been a crazy week in professional wrestling, but probably the, the hottest story before Matt Hardy was this edict that apparently WWE sent out to their employees saying that um, they are... Depending on the, depending on the, who you hear it from or what story you're reading, what report you're reading, they're banning third-party um, entities like Twitch or Cameo or things of that nature, or they won't allow you to use you. It's now been corrected or maybe amended that you can use it as long as you use your real name and not use any WWE likenesses of your character or the company, but. That was a very hot bud topic, especially with the fact that Andrew Yang jumped in, who might be Secretary of Labor if Biden wins, with it getting like national press, a lot of like popular um wrestling fans who are verified and are popular in the world of wrestling are sitting there talking about labor and unions again, unionization and a like AEW made a joke about it with Kip Sabian on the switch and saying it's promoted by all elite wrestling so it's been a huge conversation if you if you don't mind i i know carl hasn't really 
Carl's not an AEW or a New Japan guy, but he, Carl is a business guy. I want to go to you first to get your thoughts on the whole thing and kind of tell me where, you, where you're coming from. Do you think they were justified, not justified? What do you think about the independent contractor label? Like, just give me your thoughts on the whole situation. Yeah. So I, I don't think it's as simple as the way a lot of people are trying to frame the issue. Uh, so I think the first thing you have to understand is Vince McMahon is in this situation. If it's just in terms of the likeness of the wrestler, as in uh, Roman, Roman Reigns, Reigns, I guess to perfect Lord, example, yeah. right? He's got to go from his real name. He can't be Roman Reigns on cameo. But Vince is within his rights there because he owns the name. Uh, there's not much you can do about that. But I think that the, the interesting thing about this is it runs more along the lines of you're kind of kneecapping the wrestlers a little bit, in my opinion, because you and I and Jeremy and Kyle, we know Roman Reigns by his, his real name because, well, we're hardcore wrestling fans. Okay. But the, if you ask an eight year old or even, you know, a younger person that watches wrestling, and you say, hey, um, Joe Inouye has a cameo. Do you want to watch it? If, if you're, there, if you're the kid's parent. Tech football fan, they have no idea who the fuck you talking. Right. They're going to be like, who the, what? No. You know what I mean? So, I mean, and of course, as parents, you can say, hey, Roman, we mean Roman Reigns, but this is, he has to go by this. But if you're just trying to search for this thing here, you've heard a big marketing tool that they have because they are known. By their by AJ Styles is AJ Styles. You know what I mean? I'm like that's great, but I'm glad you bring him up because he's. I think there's a difference between a Roman Reigns and an AJ Styles because Roman Reigns was 100% completely a Vince McMahon and company fabrication. Sure, that name was created by the Federation. That entity has only ever existed within the Federation. WWE might currently own the copyrights to AJ Styles or Mia Yim or Keith Lee or Adam Cole. But like those particular wrestlers that I just named have been using those names as their professional name. For years before they were ever sure. under the WWE umbrella. And so for the for guys like that, I'm of a little bit of a mixed mind because, again, I get that, all right, WWE might have copyrighted Adam Cole right now for merchandising and blah, blah, blah. Yeah. But Austin Jenkins been Adam Cole for like 15 years now. Sure, but it, it's the same reason why Cody can't use Rhodes, even though he's changed his last name legally to Cody Rhodes Runnels, because they 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 have copyrighted that name for business use. So while Adam Cole has used the name Adam Cole for probably a decade before WWE, or AJ Styles for damn near two decades because he was in WCW, yeah, he's still it. While he's under contract with the company in the contract they signed, they don't give you ownership of the name, but they give you copyright to the name to use for trademarking. If that makes sense, well, if see, I'm saying that right business-wise. No, no, you are. But I, So here's another thing to consider, though. 
And I understand, like I said, once again, we, we got to kind of accept the fact that Vince is within his right here on this because he owns the trademarks. So just, I think it works against Vince McMahon, in my personal opinion. Um, and the reason why I say that is because, one, you have the opportunity to use these guys to say, you know, if I'm AJ Styles, if I'm Adam Cole, if I'm any of these guys, and I'm doing this now and I'm using my real name, I have no incentive here to be like, hey, don't forget to watch NXT on Wednesday or don't forget to watch SummerSlam this Sunday. Whereas before, like you could say, you know what I mean? Like you're saying, hey, now you have more incentive to watch this because I work for WWE and now you're saying that I can't do this. Why should I have to? It gives me no like reason to even care to promote the company that I work for outside of the fact that I work for them. Um I just think it's an all around, it's a, it's a bad move because I don't think it really, I don't think them using the product, using these third party platforms actually hurts WWE's bottom line. What I think it does is it doesn't increase their bottom line. And so what happens in that situation is Vince being the businessman that he is going back to when I was talking about Tony Khan earlier, these guys at the end of the day, it's all about, the bottom line, it's, that's what it's all about. You're, you're you know, right, how can I get a cut of this money? Credit. You're giving him too much credit to see the value in terms of monetary increase. I <sighs> think... No, hold on. Listen. Listen. Let me make the full point. Yeah. I think that you're much more likely to see the potential liability and financial impact negatively that allowing someone to use your intellectual property on an unregulated third-party market right. could have from a business standpoint. I think it is much less than, say, old man McMahon saying, oh, Cameo is a great way for me to make an extra dollar, and you're fucking up, and I'm not getting my extra dollar, and much more <laughs> to be like, oh, shit. Cameo is a real great way for you to say some fucked up shit you're not supposed to say using your company name on right. not company time. And now I'm getting sued because WWE's Roman Reigns said blah, 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 instead of Joe on Y said blah, blah, blah. No, yeah, that's, I, that's a good point. I, I think that's where probably the, the, the entire conversation started. Um, because AJ Styles is one who said a lot of insider business on his Twitch. Ooh, AJ um, you know, uh, and there's been a lot of other people that have said things on their Twitch feeds or their cameos or whatnot. Um, I am, I'm, Jeremy, I'm going to give you the last word, of course. Um, I'm torn because I think sometimes you have to make concessions for the good of your um, performer's morale in certain situations. I, I truly believe that. I think it's ridiculous to stop them from a Twitch feed because WWE is in the business of video games. Right. I think that's stupid, ridiculous, and almost quite They're frankly... They're damn sure not in the video business of video games anymore because the last video game they put out was such hot trash they had to discontinue the line. Hey, sir, oh, Battlegrounds is on the way, okay? Don't you worry. Well, look, hey. Huh. Woo! Woo! Um, Even Rance is not gonna sit here and try to cape for that I, shit. I can't cape for the game. I, I look. I I just make my own wrestlers and do what I want to do because it is. It was bad. Um, it's so bad. Like you said, they're they're gonna wait another year to do it. 
Um, but I get the cameo thing for this one reason. In the moment we're in now, in COVID, WWE isn't able to tour. And because they're not able to tour, they're not able to have meet and greets. They're not able to have fans meet their meet their fans, right? They're not able to have autograph signings or things of this nature. With the cameo feed, and, you know, at first glance, it's not a big deal. But let me give you some, like, actual factual information that makes you change your mind, right? Big E, for example, is one of the most popular people on cameo, Right? Big E charges $125 per cameo, okay? Big E has 512 reviews on his cameo. So just those 512 people alone, that's 64, almost $65,000. Yeah. Right? That's not counting the people who didn't review them. So these are, like, quite frankly, possibly almost hundreds of thousands of dollars that is killing your market of what you actually do as a business. As a business, they're performers, they they wrestle, and then when they're not wrestling, they are they meet the public and the, they are they're promoted with the public and, and things of that nature. So I get the cameo thing as long as you have the caveat, this ain't a company thing, do it on your own, right? So I that will make sense to me, even though it would probably be better just to say fuck it. I get that. But the other things like YouTube and Twitch and all this stuff, it's stupid because it has yeah. no bearing on your business. Let me ask you this. It, suppose, would you think it would be better for Vince or the WWE higher-ups to say, okay, we're going to slash it completely and like I, like the way I put it, you're kneecapping them in a weird time right now. Or would you could you say, hey, we're going to let you continue to use the Big E name but there's going to be a little bit of regulation here on these cameos. You can't say X, Y, Z. And because you're using the Big E name, we get a little bit of a cutoff of it. As opposed to just completely saying X, X, because now Big E can still make X amount of dollars as opposed to zero dollars on the side. You know what I mean? I don't know. Like To me, that's kind of the thing. I feel like you're just completely saying fuck you on this. And as you mentioned with morale, I mean, you know, we're in a weird it's time right now. It, it, it's yeah. just another example. Oh, go ahead, Jeremy. It's, it's one of those things, too, like right now, there, there's not house shows. And so I'm not sure how, like, not having those dates or affecting their contract and affecting how much they're getting paid. So, yeah, these guys are relying on Cameo and their Twitch feeds and any YouTube ad money or podcast ad money to kind of make up for what they're probably missing on, um, you know, meet and greets or merch sales or these house show you know loops that they do. Um, yeah, I agree with a lot of the points you guys are making. I think, and obviously, like you guys said, yeah, obviously, yeah, Vince owns, you know, their their ring names and stuff like that, and so legally, yeah, he can do that. But like, kind of like you're saying, Carl, I definitely feel like he's kneecapping them, and it's just one of those things where I, I totally agree with you, Carl. Where they should they should utilize those uh, you know third party uh, platforms to help bring eyes to the program. So yeah, you have AJ Styles on Twitch and be like, yeah, you know. Make sure you watch me on on Raw tonight. You know, I'm I'm going to be facing off um, against you know Kevin Owens or whoever, and, and that's that's just another way for them to get you know we we see the the ratings how the ratings have dropped since COVID's happened, and so I think having your wrestlers utilize their platforms to try and bring their audience and keep their audience engaged, um, and the, the product would help. It's just another example, though, of how they play fast and loose with that independent contractor label. 
and how they're independent contractors when it's convenient for the company, but they're employees when it's not. Um, But (laughs) that being said, that being said, knowing what we know about the wrestling industry, like whenever the unionization talk comes up, I'm just like, the hill I'm going to die on ain't going to be the cameo hill. Can I die on the <laughs> health insurance for the wrestlers? Yeah, hill? for sure. Like, yeah. I'm going to die on the for hill sure. that gets the wrestlers insurance and a retirement plan. All right? That's where my wrestlers should unionize hill is going. I ain't building the wrestlers should unionize hill on cameo. True, hey, but if you think about it in this regard... Like, if you think about it in this regard, Kyle, small steps, right? Like, maybe we start with Cameo, and then we work our way up to the insurance. I mean, insurance. shit, if they can make Big E Cameo money, they can afford the insurance premiums. Yeah, you're probably right, yeah. What What do you feel, Jeremy, about the unionization talk? Because, like, there's, I mean, even Cody poo-pooed it, right? And, and... Correct me if I'm wrong, but AEW is a rest- promoter now, so like, of course, Cody poo pooed it. He management. Once you cross the line into management, you not with labor no more. Hey, he's got health insurance now. <laughs> That's the thing. The wrestlers don't have health insurance, but the guys who have jobs with the company have health insurance. Yeah. Um, yeah. So, what w- do you stand on that? Yeah, it's it's definitely a, it's an interesting situation because obviously you know there's one hand where everybody's like, you know, well, it's wrestling. It's the way it's been done for decades and decades and decades, and there's no problem. But obviously there there is a problem, and I do think that these guys should be getting insurance. And uh, you know, I think also a union would probably be the most fair way to kind of do this, especially control the abuse of the whole independent contractor thing. Where it's like these guys, you, you say they're independent contractors, but they're not allowed to go work for another promotion, for another contract. They, they're they barely now not even allowed to like open up their own YouTube now. It's like there's so many things that they're, you know, if they're an employee, you can probably understand like, all right, well, they're employees of WWE. They have to follow the employee guidelines. They have to only work for this company, la, 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 da. And so, you know, obviously I think having that union could help, you know, make things more fair for the wrestlers. I think unionization and giving the wrestlers more power could also improve other things within the business. So, like, for example, one of the things we lament all the time is shirts are plain and they're, like, the same. I bet you if they got more input into what their shit looked like, it wouldn't all be the same shit. I... I... I'm here for some form of wrestlers being protected. I don't know that a union is going to be it. Not that I'm I'm anti-union. I'm not. It's just that I don't know how it's going to affect the business of wrestling that we pay attention to in terms of, like, the booking of the shows. If you book me in a ladder match with this guy, I don't want to do it. Well, I can just call the union and say that maybe the show gets held up. You know, like things like that are things that I'm that I'm I need more information about that I'm make me less, worried about a technical union. I'm way less worried about that impact. I'm way less worried about the union impacting booking than I am about the fact, and this is a fact, we know it. Unionization of the performers and a uniform standard of basic conditions that should be met will kill a lot of promotions. 
Yeah, and like, you know, on the one hand, because I'm, you know, pretty hardcore in my socialist beliefs. So like, I'm very pro labor. So like, fuck you if you can't provide minimum safety and a minimum payment guarantee and like all of those things. Don't call me to book me if you can't sign my check, bro. Um, but at the same time, I also recognize the facts of the industry and know that if we were to like force a lot of these small promotions to have basic standards of cleanliness and care, they wouldn't exist anymore. Uh, to, to give you a perfect example of that, um, all all of you guys may have heard of the promotion Wrestle Circus. Mm-hmm. Right, yeah. yeah. Wrestle yeah. Circus was huge. Had every major oh. independent guy. Had great they did great houses. They had great business. They folded within less a year because they couldn't keep operating. They couldn't keep operating income, but they were killing. So imagine if they had to. Imagine if they had to unionize and they had to use. They had to pay everybody who was on their show a fair wage and had to pay everybody who was on their show um, all insurance and all the things that come with that. Like that can really kill indie lesser promotions. And I'm again. I'm saying maybe that's maybe that's the lesser of two evils, you know. I don't know. Um, the health insurance thing, while not, wow, this is going to sound very publicly of me. Forgive me for that, but I I do think that they should be provided health insurance. But I also know factually, if anything happens to them under the under the pretenses of what they're on the job or they're at the company, come take care of everything. And that's all the major companies, AEW, New Japan, Ring of Honor, WWE, Impact. So, well, maybe not Impact. (laughs) 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 So Impact don't have to worry about it, homie. They're a Canadian company. They just sent your ass to the free socialized health care. There you go. Canada, it's a right. There you go. Good point. So they're covered for, like, major issues, but they're not covered for, like, what if I get cancer? What if I get... You know, if I have appendicitis, so I get it. I'm not. I'm not saying they don't that, that the company shouldn't give the, give it to them, but they are a lot more covered than most regular employees that don't have in, insurance. Right. I, I will. I will say this, kind of to put a bow on my thoughts on it. And I saw this, and Rance, you had sent this in one of our own group chats before the letter that was sent out, or the statement that WWE put out about the whole issue. And I'm just going to read a little. Real quick, go ahead. Shout, out, shout out to Fightful for getting that. Yeah, like, no doubt. Get journalistic. No, no doubt. So I, I just want to like say this because I think part, I'm going to read just a little bit of it, not the whole part, because there's a, just a specific phrase where I'm like, come on now. Like how on the nose can you be, right? Knows what anyway, you're talking about. Yeah, it says, much like Disney and Warner Brothers, WWE creates, promotes, and invests in its intellectual property, i.e. the stage names of performers like The Fiend, Bray Wyatt, Roman Reigns, Big E, and Braun Strowman. And this sentence right here, I'm just like, come on. (laughs) It is the control and exploitation of these characters that allows WWE to drive revenue, which in turn enables the company to compensate performers at its highest level, blah, 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 blah. The control and exploitation. exploitation. Yeah, like, I mean, could you have not found a better word there to use to just feel like, like everyone who's against this you're just making our point for us. Like, come on, I mean, Vince. Vince and, Shane, Vince and Shane got to pay for that cocaine somehow. 
<laughs> Fair enough. Got to drive that revenue. Let me ask a question to the to the promoter in the show, Jeremy. Are you when you give your when you give your guys on the podcast network and who write for the site their downsides? Do you pay insurance? No, well, I, I, I'm not really. I'm joking. <laughs> I'm joking. I'm joking. That's that's not a real question. I'm joking. <laughs> I was I was trying to make you seem like you were a big promotion, so I was trying to build you up. Yeah. Um. It, but yeah. <laughs> I I it's there's not. There's the only right answer is take care of your people, right? That's the only right answer. But I don't know how you go about that correctly. That helps everybody. Um, I they luckily and happily that they they've kind of fixed that initial statement by explaining to their employees or their contractors. I'm sorry, their wrestlers that this is just an intellectual property issue. Right, because uh, immediately Paige changed her Twitch. Uh, Mia Yim uses her real name, Stephanie Bell. Like um, instantly, Xavier Woods been known the game for the whole time. He ain't never been Xavier Woods on on his on his game stuff. He's been Austin Creed since day one. He know the game. So, to Xavier though, I don't know if you guys saw the very subtle tweet that he put out, where after Andrew Yang just gave Vince the business on Twitter. Oh. He put out a little tweet with a gif of Jimmy Yang, formerly of WWE lore, that said Jimmy Yang Gang. Very subtle. That's <laughs> clever. But um, yeah, uh, yeah, you got to take care of your people. I'm of the mindset where if you aren't, if you don't have a sustainable business model, well, you don't have a sustainable business model. And the WWE has the ability to provide this stuff. Come on. Like we know this, so well, they're, they're hurt even more since they let those people go, but then reported their highest quarter. Yeah, so that, that the, the the perception is even more hurt. Well, that. but you know what? But you know what? That that don't surprise me though, because what people don't realize is it costs a lot of money to go on tour all year yeah. long. If you look at the expenses for that company. After you take out payroll, which is always going to be a company's like number one or number two expense, after you take out payroll, the top expenses for that company are all travel and production. And you know what they ain't doing none of right now? Travel and production. <laughs> They're producing them shows from a set. Thunderdome. Thunderdome, Thunderdome. Yeah, uh, saving a lot of money by not doing house shows, and it, it it might be a thing where once things get back to normal, we might not see as many house shows anymore. But that is good for the company in the long term. One of the things that we have talked about ad nauseum is that a big part of the reason gates are down is because if you know the company is going to come to your town three times a year, or within an hour of you three, four, five times a year. Nah, I ain't gonna go to that one. I'll go to the one next time. Well, let me ask you this: Would you uh, just? I know we're kind of still going here, but let me just ask you this: If if it meant that the wrestlers and the performers and the talent could get the proper health insurance and benefits that they ne- they need and deserve, would you be willing to say, "Hey, all right, fine, no more house shows"? 
we're just not doing them as much as anymore. What means more to you as the fan? To me personally, I'm team insurance, right? But I also live in Fort Smith. Nobody ever fucking comes here. So, you know, it's kind of easy for me. See, to and I'm on the flip side. I live in Columbia, South Carolina, in between Charlotte and Atlanta. There yeah. are, uh, at any given time, there's a half a dozen indie promotions that'll run a show somewhere around these parts. So I'm just <laughs> like. Right. It, it keep, they keep it a buck. Tampa, Houston, Columbia, all big cities. We all get the, the companies to come to our cities quite often, right? So that's not a concern. The only real reason for house shows, other than going to places people don't normally go, but the house shows don't, don't ever sell out anymore, is so that these guys can get comfortable in the ring wrestling against, against each other. That's the only real reason, right? Yeah. Right. And I'll see that, yeah, the, the more match time you get, the better you're going to be in ring and you see, we see guys who have tons of matches. Usually they end up being the better wrestlers because they're getting that ring time. And so I definitely think they should maybe have some house shows, maybe not as a big of a house show schedule that they typically have, but a reduced yeah. schedule, especially and you kind of focus maybe on the younger guys who need the more in-ring time. Of course, you know, you put like a Roman Reigns on top to, to draw, but you know, focus in on some of the younger talent to get them that ring work and get them to the level of, of, of your top guys. Yeah, instead of doing two hundred dates a year, do a hundred. Right. As usual, the answer and the solution usually falls somewhere in the middle. Yeah, right. you know, and that's kind of just yeah. Jeremy, thanks so much for coming on the show this week, brother. We have really, really enjoyed having you. No problem, man. It's always a pleasure hanging out with the Outsiders Edge boys. Yeah, and uh, <laughs> tell all of our good listeners, remind them. If they're longtime listeners, they already know. But remind them where they can find y'all over at Social Suplex. Yeah, so you can find us, Social Suplex Podcast Network. I co-host Keeping It Strong Style. We drop every Tuesday on the network. So you can look up Social Suplex, find us there. We also have our own individual feed, Keeping It Strong Style. You subscribe to either one. Uh, you can follow the show at KI Strong Style. We just dropped a show this week, kind of reviewing uh, the New Japan Road and the Fighting Spirit Unleashed that happened in the USA. We talked about earlier, we got G1 Climax 30 coming up. So next week, we'll have our big preview. We'll have uh, Chris Samsa on from SupporterProWrestling.com and VoicesOfWrestling.com. Um, the, the big New Japan stat man on to kind of break down and preview uh, G1 Climax 30 coming up. And then also check out all the other great shows we have on the Social Suplex Podcast Network. We got uh, One Nation Radio, who kind of they're kind of our flagship show. They kind of cover everything. You know, our boys in Scotland, Ricky and Clive, they're in the middle of doing their best ever and worst ever series on pay per views. A, a lot of fun stuff there. Um, we got some new shows. We got the Eight Bit Suplex, where they're they're covering Impact and video games. A little twist there. Um, your old buddy Caleb Baldwin's back. He's doing a Grave Consequences <laughs> podcast. Uh, with Maserati, they're covering uh, a retroactive uh, cover on Lucha Underground. Uh, we got All Things Elite with Floyd Johnson and Austin. They're covering all our AEW stuff. So, yeah, we just have a lot, we got a lot of great stuff going on now. So go ahead and check us out, socialsuplex.com, Suplex Podcast Network, and uh, give us a listen and a follow. ProWrestlingTees.com slash Social Suplex. I have multiple Social Suplex shirts. For those of you who don't know, we were officially the second show on Social Suplex. Yeah. And we ended up moving to Chair Shot. So, like, we're alumni and, you know, we still rock heavy with the brand. 
So we still got lots of love for our friends over at the Social Suplex. And I still got my Social Suplex shirt. And nice. y'all, <laughs> if you are even considering getting into New Japan, you've never tried it before, you're not sure where to get started, give them a listen over at Keeping It Strong Style. They are the definitive English language New Japan podcast. Thank you. Thank you. Appreciate that, man. Facts. Um, yeah. Uh, okay. Well, you want to go first, Carl? Yeah, sure. That's fine. Cause I'm, I'm, it's quick and simple for me. You can find me on Twitter at outsider curving. Um, that's really it. I don't, I don't know. I got nothing else you to say. You make it sound like it's so much harder for the, for the rest of us. You can find the show on Twitter <laughs> at outsiders edge CS. You can Speaking find of that. Hold on. At, at outsiders edge. If you give me the if you give me the handle, Jeremy will give you a a free social suplex shirt. <laughs> this is this is a thing if you don't know because there's an at Outsiders Edge handle on Twitter, and they've tweeted once and it was 2012 and it was at Hulk Hogan. It's not Hulk Hogan, Hollywood Hogan. So like I want that handle. So like every week I offer them something else to get. And to. Twitter and Twitter has said they were going to get rid of inactive accounts, and this still has not happened. We need to at Jack about that one, I think, because that's what we're gonna have to do to, to fix that problem. I, I want it and look, you got a social suplex and the keeping a strong style shirt coming at you. Yeah, I'll throw <laughs> I'll, I'll throw in both. Yeah, give, give my boy Rance the handle. I'll I'll throw some merch in there. You can find me on Twitter at Dr. S'mores. You can yes. find Rance on Twitter at... It's Ray Cash, R-E-Y as in Mysterio, C-A-S-H as in dollars, Black Lives Matter. Remember, y'all, we're part of the Chairshot Radio, which is part of the Chairshot Media Network, where you... Always use your dick, but more specifically, always use your head. And since I promoted your, your shirts, we got shirts too, ProResentees.com slash the Chairshot. Hashtag journalism. Hashtag journalism. And remember, y'all, we here at the Outsider's Edge are some increasingly less young gentlemen doing everything that we can out here trying to make it in this world. And sometimes we're going to say some incredibly interesting and not at all controversial things like, what the fuck, Matt Hardy? And other times we're going to say some more controversial things like, what the fuck, Tony Khan? But no matter what, we're out here chasing our dreams, y'all, and you got to respect that. Because, like, if you don't, well, I had Carl check with his kids, and, yep, we still don't give a fuck. Everybody together, fuck up. Fuck up. Thanks for listening. We'll catch you next time. Enjoy all your favorite sports like never before at BetMGM. Sign up using code Buckeye and receive up to $1,500 back in bonus bets if you don't win your first bet. When you register with BetMGM, you'll get instant access to a variety of parlay selection features, live betting options, and the best daily promotions in the business. And with BetMGM at your fingertips, every play and every game matters more than ever. Place your money line prop or parlay bets with the king of sports books today sign up using code buckeye and receive up to fifteen hundred dollars back in bonus bets if you don't win your first bet 
BetMGM and GameSense remind you to play responsibly. 21 plus and present in Ohio, subject to eligibility requirements. Rewards are non-withdrawable bonus bets that expire in seven days. Gambling problem? Call 1-800-GAMBLER in partnership with MGM Northfield Park. Support for this podcast and the following message come from Corient. Corient provides wealth management services centered around you. They focus on exceeding your expectations and simplifying your life. Corient has been helping high achievers just like you enjoy their lives more fully, preserve their wealth, and provide for the people, causes, and communities they care about. As one of the largest integrated fee-only registered investment advisors in the U.S., Corient has deeply experienced teams in 23 strategic locations. Corient has extensive knowledge spanning the full spectrum of planning, investing, lending, and money management disciplines. Leverage Corient's exclusive network of experts to craft custom solutions designed to help you reach your financial goals, no matter how complex they may be. Real wealth requires real solutions. For more information, connect with a wealth advisor today at Corient.com. That's C-O-R-I-E-N-T.com. Corient.com.